blind mice in a row, three blind mice, there they go. Hello to everybody out there in Jamaica, London, Canada, Australia, and uh, wherever else you're listening to us from. You are listening to Double Oz 7, the only James Bond podcast on the internet that uh, you're listening to right now, I suppose. Uh, this is our second episode, but our first in covering the canon of the movie series. This is Dr. No we're discussing, and I am one of the three blind mice you'll be listening to. I'm Colin Hilding. I am Dr. No Ah. And I am Mango, Banana, and Tangerine, and uh, this is going to be a Mangalicious episode. Yeah, and one other trivia note that should be said is that this is the only Dr. No media you'll find anywhere where uh, the hosts aren't uh, voiced over <laughs> by the great Mickey Vanderzell. <laughs> Ooh, is it? <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, she said she she was unavailable. Oh, she lied to us. (laughs) More on Nikki Vanderzil later on. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Um, We apologize in advance for any of the impressions you're about to hear in the next uh, however long this runs for. Uh, Many apologies for us. (laughs) Let's go. We'll get to that meeting later. <laughs> we are here to go over the very first James Bond movie from 1962, Dr. No. Uh, we'll get into pretty much everything by the time this is over, more than you'll ever want to hear. Um, but uh, bear with us. This is all a learning process. And uh, I guess we'll start off just by going over our initial impressions of Dr. No, uh, maybe from the first time we saw it versus the opinions from now. Um, I'll start out. As we mentioned in our last episode, the the preview episode, if you want to call it that, um, I got into the James Bond movies uh, around GoldenEye, Tomorrow Never Dies, and I was lucky enough that the day I saw Tomorrow Never Dies in the theater, I came home, it was cold, it was a long night, and there happened to be a James Bond marathon on TV. It was airing first uh, Goldfinger, then Thunderball, and then Dr. No, and I stayed up all night watching all three, and... A lot of the James Bond movies that I saw in those early days of watching it, my opinions change on. You know, I remember seeing Diamonds Are Forever as one of the first, and my opinions definitely changed on that over time the more I saw. But with Dr. No, I, I honestly can't say my opinion has ever changed on this movie, like not one bit. I love this movie just as much now as I loved it the first time I saw it, who knows how many years ago, 15, 20 years ago. For me, um, I'm similar. I've always loved this one. I've never got the hate. Uh, the, it's, it doesn't get hate, but it's not one of the most beloved ones. And um, it's probably like the tenth one I saw, eighth, ninth, I'm not sure entirely, but it was around the middle I saw this, and I've always wanted to see the very first one. And I love it. It's just such a fun adventure, and there's so much to talk about in it. Uh, a lot of Jamaican music. I've been listening to the soundtrack all morning, so I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, man. Jump up, jump up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've always loved it. This most recent rewatch, as I get older, I kind of uh, look at more of the filming techniques and like more of the production aspect rather than when I was younger and I just watched the film for the story. And there's definitely a lot in this that is not brilliant in that regard, but I still love it so much, Ben. There's 
um, uh, yeah, a lot of things kind of what you were saying, Noah and, and Colin, and I know we mentioned in our last episode, uh, well, I know you did, Noah, that it's one of the ones you've seen a lot because you often will start like a rewatch of all the Bond movies and <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you go from the beginning. And I feel I've seen, I think I've seen the first half of this movie a lot because I know when I used to start doing the rewatches, I'd get halfway through and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, no, I'm just starting it, um, the Pierce Brosnan ones and I'll work backwards. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I, I don't know how many I had seen before I had finally watched Dr. No. A uh, similar situation to you, Noah. You, you, I think I'd seen a lot, and then I kind of went back to the um, first one. And I think on, on sort of this rewatch, I mean, you were, I appreciate it more every time I watch it. I've never been a, a huge fan of sort of older movies, and I generally only will watch kind of movies from a certain era that are related to things that I like, and obviously I love James Bond, so I've I've watched the, you know, older movies in that canon a lot, but um, yeah, no, it's it, I enjoyed this rewatch particularly because it's sort of doing this episode, I'm really trying to focus on a lot more things, and you pick up a lot, th- a lot of things on rewatches that you haven't in the previous ones, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going over a lot of things from this episode, but I would say it had improved on this rewatch uh, as it had the last time I had seen it. Is this um, the first? I've never done a full rewatch from the start to the finish. I've always just watched random ones. This is the first time I'll ever be doing that. Have you two ever done from start to finish before? Yeah, I uh, I've done it twice. I did. Before Quantum of Solace came out, I rewatched all the movies over the course of um, probably a couple of months. But then I gave myself the challenge. I'm like, I have to top it somehow for the 50th anniversary. So when Skyfall came out, believe it or not, I rewatched all. Well, I timed it so that I could see Skyfall the day of. So I watched 23 James Bond movies in 23 days. Wow. <laughs> that, that was my, yeah. my claim to fame. But in order, I mean, like I've I've rewatched all yeah, the in films, order. but yeah, I've never done in order. So you always do it in order every time you watch. Well, I mean, I I would say I probably at least once a year to year and a half I go through James Bond kicks where I will watch the movies. Uh, the only times I've watched the entire series straight through was before Quantum and before Skyfall. But uh, yeah. every year, year and a half, I will always go through at least my ten favorite or twelve favorite Bond movies. And Doctor Knows, of course, always in that. What once you start watching lunch, you always end up watching them all. It's hard to stop. Exactly. You? I try to. Um, I think more so in order from reverse order. Um, I think it was around Casino Ro- Casino Royale. Um, and at that time, I actually full-on set out to do it in reverse order. It wasn't like, oh, I'll start with Dr. No. I was like, nah, let's go backwards. And I think I managed, I did. I managed to do that basically from Die Another Day through to Dr. No. From from the beginning to the end, uh, I don't think I've done it successfully yet. So I, I generally kind of, similar to what Colin was saying in terms of watching your favourites, I'll... I'll I'll go through them and watch my favourites, and then I think I've done sort of a rewatching a higgledy piggledy order before, um, as, <laughs> as well as sort of a reverse order. But yeah, I do the higgledy piggledy. Yeah, I've never successfully done the from the beginning to the most recent, so I'm looking forward to achieving that goal um, whilst we do these. With uh, with Doctor No, I've seen this movie so many times that we've been going over the last couple of weeks, saying, okay, well, let's start with Doctor No, let's uh, maybe do two this week, but. I had in my head that at least with Doctor No, I wouldn't have to even rewatch the movie. So as it was getting closer, I'm like, you know what? I, I've seen this movie so many times. I know it by heart. 
I even talked to my wife about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to watch Doc No. She's like, well, you, you can quote the movie for me right now. <laughs> so I didn't think I would pick up new things watching this, but there's at least two or three things that we're going to go through today where uh, <laughs> moments in the movie, for better or worse, that I didn't quite notice that's going to be interesting to talk about. Uh, when you take notes, uh, I've never taken notes on a James Bond film <laughs> before, so it's like school, but fun school. So, um, yeah, you pick up on a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's um, it is. It's again. I'm sort of used to taking notes, what watching um, TV shows and things like that through um, our other podcasts, and that's so why I'm kind of down pat to it now and being able to actually focus what I'm doing. But I found myself with this rewatch uh, a couple of times, sort of rewinding and um, yes. you know making sure I got it right. And I'm not just talking about freeze framing certain scenes in showers, <laughs> which um, we will get to, but. Um, Everyone you know, listening to that has done that. Yeah, yeah, but like it's it's kind of because yeah, I, I, it's it's fascinating, and anybody who ever you know has the the pleasure of hosting a podcast or doing something like this, where it might even be for a school project, um, when you know you're almost trying to be come into this, maybe just me, and sound like an expert, um, you're really trying to pick out things so many, um, so much more than you have been in the past. So um, it's a fascinating time to be able to do this and, and to see how many pages of notes you do because you find, and I'm sure we'll find that we will take more or less notes through certain films. Like, no, uh, Colin, you obviously say you've seen this so many times that you felt like you nearly didn't have to. I mean, we'll get to some of these ones that I've, obviously I would have seen a few times that I'll, I'll feel the same, but you'll probably be taking notes and you'll write more than you probably ever anticipate that you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The last, the last time I ever wrote notes for a school uh, project or thing would be a Pierce Brosnan film, actually. Um, what was that? Dante's uh, Peak? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, well, are you seriously? Oh, I thought I was only joking. I love that yeah. movie. We had to watch those sides, and I'm not sure how scientific that's, that movie If you is. actually, if you want to be technical, that is how I look at it. That is James Bond and Sarah Connor saving a town from a volcano. Yeah, we've a lot Which of... we've uh, all dreamt about, right? Well, haven't we not? <laughs> like, all we needed was Arnold Schwarzenegger to pop out of the volcano and go, Sarah Connor. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. <laughs> if either of you guys dreamt up Pierce Brosnan singing in Mamma Mia, I'm quitting this oh, right now. Oh, God, no. I've avoided that movie like the plague because I cannot picture James Bond singing an ABBA song. <laughs> I've, I've dreamt Pierce Brosnan singing underneath the mango tree. Yes! Uh, I was going to well, do a Pierce Brosnan impersonation, but I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or Pierce Brosnan or James Bond getting um, hit in the head by a fruit in Mrs. Doubtfire and then choking on pepper. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now, now we're going to have to go back and do a rewatch just to see if it was a mango. <laughs> it all makes sense. It's all the conspiracy. <laughs> that's, uh, that's our like 25th episode. James Bond actors in other movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we cover Sean Connery in some S and M outfit in yes. Zardoz. Yes, this is definitely jump the shark. And I, I, I shotgun getting to do Tomb Raider just to have Daniel Craig in an American accent. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. <laughs> no arguments from me. Well, we're going to jump into the movie here. The The first thing that I have to say before we even get into the movie is it, it's amazing going back and watching this again in order and trying to take notes and just noticing how many of the staples of the James Bond series start with Dr. No. I mean, we're going to see 
tons of things throughout the course of Doctor No that appear in almost every single James Bond movie. And they almost feel like when you're watching this that they were meant to be there, like they always intended for this to go on. There's some trivia about uh, uh, plans they had from the beginning about this being a franchise. Uh, obviously, the movie starts with the gun barrel, as we always know, but this will be the only time where we won't get to talk about uh, a pre-title scene because there was no pre-title scene. It's also going to be one of the very few times we won't really get to talk about a theme song because there was no theme song in Doctor No. There were two there theme were... songs, Colin. <laughs> well, okay. they're not Three. ones that get played in concert. Uh, from what... Yeah, Mary did know... not sing underneath the mango tree at Three Blind Mice. I was absolutely pissed off that night. <laughs> uh, ben, you just spoiled it for us. Do you want to give us your rendition of the opening theme? <laughs> Either version. Well, I the, the, <laughs> I just love the opening bit how it's all like ding 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 ding, ding and it's like boom 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 three blind bats three like it's so I think random. We need to talk about the gun barrel though. It sounds like the opening like sounds of the wonderful world of Disney. Yes. <laughs> But I actually don't hate it, though. I think it's got something to it. Well, I think the gun barrel, like, it's appropriate that the first James Bond movie, it's very cool to go back and watch, and you get the gun barrel and immediately enter the Bond theme. But that sound effect, like, for at least a split second, it really does take you out of this, this hard-edged killer. What is killer it supposed to be? What is it? Isn't that just a 60s, like, you know, back then that sound effect was like Blu-ray. It was so technologically advanced. But you have to admit, when the gunshot goes and it kicks into the feet, that's pretty epic. That's great. But before that, it's like it's like they're about to announce the 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 call letters of a radio station. Like you're listening to (laughs) WBOND. Yes, underneath the mango tree. (laughs) The only song in Jamaica right now. (laughs) (laughs) I like I like the fact that it like how it stops and like. It, it will stop, and it has the, the text on it before you actually see um, Bond, which, of course, isn't Sean Connery, which I'm sure, Colin, you'll mention. But it's... Yeah. And, and, and it's, it just, it's, is that the only time that we have that, that we get this sort of the gun barrel movie, and it freezes an Albert Broccoli production, and then it gets into it? Yeah, I yeah. think so, but it's cool, though. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, it's not Sean Connery. For the first three Bond movies, this was Sean Connery's stand-in. Um, Bobby. So... Bob Simmons. <laughs> Is that what his name was? Yeah, he's yeah, he was man. a stunt Simmons, double. A.K.A. the hack guy. And the guy who got caught on by a tarantula, which again, we'll get to. But I remember yeah, uh, exactly. watching that the first time in a hat? Yeah, and he's so <laughs> slow. He's so fucking slow. I'm like, if that's James Bond, what does he need, a walking stick? Well, Bob's done a lot of stunts. He's a bit uh, slow on his feet. But the person with the gun could have shot him like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it wasn't even a, a case of like, oh, he doesn't know I'm going to shoot him. Well, if that um, henchman is as useless as Professor Dent, then he probably uh, wouldn't be able to shoot him. You're about uh, to die, but I'll tell you the plan anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, so maybe not, but... I love the the start of it before the jump cut with the theme and the the flashing gun barrel orb, mm. orbs <laughs> and they're like discoing around yeah. like that's that's really cool. But then it has this extreme one of the most awkward things in cinema ever: the cut into the bongo dancing. Like yeah. that cut. <laughs> Did no one look at that and say, "I know this is the '60s, but that's no excuse." Did no one look at that and say, "That cut just does not work." <laughs> 
as if it was any less awkward to follow that with the the do 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 three blind mice looking for a cat. Let's follow the rat. Yeah, that that cut as well. Like you're like, all right, the first cut was bad, but we'll live with it. We're watching this disco bongo silhouette dance, and yes, one of the dancers was credited. Yes, she got credited in the actual like, well, not in the credit credits, but on IMDb, she yeah, she was much more important to the film. Martine Beswick. Martine will go on to appear in two other Bond movies in more increasingly important roles than the the shadow dancer during the awkward bongo dance. Just each film she upgrades, so like by, by Spectre, she's going to be the main villain eventually. <laughs> the only person to appear in all Bond films. <laughs> Love it, Martine. But I love that, like the the silhouette of like the of, of Martine and like the the women sort of dancing, like yeah, it, and it's just how random it is. Like it, it's so like you know you're watching this going, oh yeah, this is like pretty good, you know. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, like we're getting into it. Yeah, and it's just like all of, like if I, I can you imagine watching this in 1962? Like you have nothing to base this on. And you're like, oh, this is kind of gritty, you know, a gun barrel. Oh, we've got this, you know, amazing musical. What are we watching? All of a sudden, ah, oh, we're just watching some like musical. Ding, 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 ding. Saturday Night Fever, Jamaica stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, why wasn't our friend from uh, Puss Fella's Bar in one of the silhouettes, the dancing guy oh. that we love, that we all get... He looks like he's having an epileptic fit. He should have been <laughs> one of the silhouettes dancing. Yeah, so we need to make a recut of this trailer. When that comes up, we'll cover it a bit more. We need to do a recut of this trailer with the crazy dancing guy from the bar. <laughs> in the sil- dancing was he credited? <laughs> Is he Martin as well? Crazy dancing yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, he had spoken a line, we know who would have done his voice, right? <laughs> but why, why couldn't they have kept the main theme? Why did they have to jump into the, the bongo? <laughs> you know, I wonder that... I, I figure they probably didn't know how iconic... Because you, you said, what would this be like to watch this in 1962? And it probably wouldn't have felt as awkward because we're just so accustomed to that James Bond theme and how the opening credits are like even for Russia with love, which we'll get to next week. I mean, that's that even can throw you off a little bit with the opening theme, but without knowing how big James Bond would be, I don't know how distracted people would have been at the time by this. Well, yeah, I guess so. But three jump cuts, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Followed by the literal three blind mice. Yeah. uh, I love like the the bongos were was bad, but then the jump into this the song is completely different. There's no flow and then do 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 as you said, and we're into three blind mice, which is one of my favourite parts of the movie. Love the three blind mice. I guess in um the old style of movies though, and this is I mean it's just how movies were done in in this period of time. Um, and that's that for the most part credits were shown at the beginning of a film. If you've ever watched any movie from sort of this era like um yeah. you've got that first what four four minutes for five minutes and you've got that like sweeping music in the background and they're basically getting getting that all and over and done with so at the end of the movie you've just got the end Da-da-da-da. yeah well we see at the end it's quite short yeah it's so and I, and I and i reckon um that's how the bond theme i guess developed because i mean if you watch a, a modern bond film 
it almost does seem out of place to kind of have this opening scene followed by a random song with credits on it, then you're into the action, because you just don't have that in modern cinema. Whereas it obviously sort of came from this period of movies where somebody watching this in 1962, they expect to see all the credits at the beginning, and, um, you know, for them, a bit of boom ba da boom ba dum I'm three blind. He's probably like, oh, this is fantastic, Mildred. Uh, you're alienating all our uh, listeners who lived in the 60s. <laughs> they don't know how to download podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I guess the one thing that's probably more unique, well, maybe not unique, but the pre-title sequence, which isn't in this one, but the next one, is that stuck. Um, it's really created its own genre of introductions, I guess, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, you could even say with TV shows, I mean... I've seen some TV shows but from, like, the 50s, 60s, but I think that's something that even television borrowed from later on, which, again, we'll get into more with Commercial with Love later, but uh, the pre-title scene has become such a staple with any type of movie, it's not unusual to see that anymore. So some things have stayed, but like Ben was saying with the, the opening credits, seeing every single name on there is was different because that's the way opening credits used to be done. And the Bond movies have retained that, 23 movies later so there have to be people alive now who are going through and saying like gaffer what is a gaffer and why <laughs> am i being told about this before i find out what the movie's about yeah well for a minute i thought you um you were saying gaffer was one of those other names from the 60s that ben was talking <laughs> mildred and gaffer i am when gaffer in Australia is just a slang for, oh, mate, that's broken, get the gaffer, so you can get the gaffer tape to um, fix something up. But one thing I, I just want to point out in terms of the credits, um, I love the fact that we get animation, Trevor Bond. Um, I mean, does he know that um, he was working? Like, that was perfect. That was somebody who worked on the movie with the last name Bond, and he was a guy who did the LSD flashing lights, so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he did the good part of yeah. the intro. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, we should probably jump into it, uh, should we? Um, because of all the films, this has the most seamless cut into the movie. We were joking about the cut into the bongos, but no other film blends into the beginning of the film like this one with the three bar mice, does it? That is something that makes it a little bit less awkward, I think. Well, there's nothing that makes it not awkward when you're watching it, but at the moment, like, I remember when I first saw this, and even having only seen maybe two or three James Bond movies at this point, I was watching, I'm like, okay, there's this weird song, but then when it did cut into them, it kind of made sense to me. So uh, that is, as you said, very seamless, the way that I worked that in there. You do get a bit of that in Die Another Day when you kind of see him being tortured and it kind of slightly, but... Um... It's any excuse to bring up that damn yes! theme song. Yes, damn it! <laughs> Every single one of these, I'm going to bring up Die Another Day and Madonna, so shut up. But, um... you know... The... <laughs> The biggest James Bond fans listening to this right now have no idea what you're talking about because any true Bond fan is skipping past the opening credits of Die Another Day to avoid Madonna. I'm song. doing the opposite. I'm skipping the opening scene to get to the theme song. Then I'll oh. go back and watch the opening credits then to watch this theme People again. are going to start Good the night, everybody. Ben <laughs> I'm going to wake up. Yes and no. Three button mice and a go. <laughs> yes, um, but I remember watching this the first time, and I had no idea these were the henchmen. I had not read the book at the time. Um, I'm just like, oh yeah, we're in Jamaica. Uh, 
three blind guys? What's happening? Which is hilarious because I, I realise they're not obviously blind, but when you're watching the bit where they're crossing the road, you've got three blind guys just hanging up. Like, do you trust three blind guys to guide you across the road? And when they're walking down that street, like, if they're legitimately blind, but they not be in the middle of the road, like, getting hit by cars? <laughs> How do they decide which one goes first? Um, is he the le- least blind of them all? Um, <laughs> He's only eighty yeah. percent legally blind. The others are ninety. It's like, and um, it's like the human centipede. Is that what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that got a mention in this. Wow. Anyway, no, but the three blind mice are there for a reason because uh, they're assassins. Uh, sent to kill a couple of random people and Strangways, a man that uh, is very important to the plot but says uh, almost nothing. Um, do, do you guys have anything to say about the three blind mice killings and Strangways other than one blooper I want to bring up later? <laughs> well, Strangways in this, yeah, he's integral to the plot but not really in the film. Colin, you've read the books. Um, I'm not sure if you've read them all but he is actually quite a big character in the books because he's in a former one where he teams up and actually trains Bond um, and is somewhat of an acquaintance to him. And then, so when he gets killed, it's someone we already know, but we're watching this film for the first time, we have no idea who this guy is, so it makes it a bit more random than it really is within the books. Um, so, Ben, you've never read the books, so what's your take on Strangways from just the um, film? Well, I, I just love the fact that um, the actor who played him, again, as we will see a theme in this movie, didn't even get to use his own voice. Um, <laughs> Timothy Moxon, uh, Strangway was voiced then by Robert Retty. And, um, yeah, he's, he's what, in it for like three seconds, and then his death scene is, again, one of these lovely 1960s dramatic ones where their arms have to flail out, and they're all like, oh, 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 oh. And then, like, the perfect timing of the car that pulls up and drives away with him, it, it, it's like, you know, it's great. But I, I liked it, and I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit here because I know we're going to get to it, but my favourite bit then is when um, his assistant or secretary gets murdered with her Mary. weird-looking teeth, and then she's on the ground with the um, bright red paint on the carpet, uh, which is meant to signify, but that is the worst blood I have ever seen in any movie. Do your in yeah, it's like ochre or something. <laughs> um, do your impersonation of Mary's deathbed that you did off it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's there, like you know, trying to call up, and then she looks through the window, and she's like, ah! Boom, 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 boom. Um, yeah. So Stringways is in a lot more in the book. Well, more important, but. The three blind mice aren't often credited as great on henchmen. I love them. I love the whole idea that the blind, you never expect it. There's just three of these guys. Um, I guess Dr. No's just paying them because they're locals or whatever, but I love them. I'm not sure about you guys. I think they're great henchmen. Can I just quickly say, are they some of the only James Bond henchmen that actually don't die? They do yeah, die. They don't even reappear again, though, do they? Do they die? Well, yeah, we'll get to that, but uh, that was a question I was going to ask later in the film, but I believe they do die. Yeah. Well, should we talk about that now, now that that we're talking about the three by Well, I thought, I mean, yeah, well, I'd like to hear this, because I thought the last bit we saw of them was when they're sort of pointing the gun at Bond as he goes back into his hotel. Is that the last we saw of them? (laughs) That's the last time we see them, but then, (laughs) who's in the car during the car chase? Um, Yeah. Oh, on the way to the funeral. Okay. We don't don't get to see them, which is weird that they wouldn't show them. 
but who would it be then if it's not them? Good call. One of one of the things that we're going to be doing later on is we're going to be counting all of Bond's kills throughout this. And I was specifically watching that scene, uh, wanting to find well how many people were in the car or whatever. <laughs> and I had to ask my wife. I'm freeze framing. And I had to ask her how many people you see. And in one shot, she sees three. And I'm like, really? And then the next shot, I see one. But, of course, that was the stunt driver going over. So it was, again, a mistake. Well, a blooper, I guess you could say, where well, you clearly see one person in the car. Two of them might have jumped earlier for all we Well, know. we should say that we've all done our kiss, kiss, bang, bang count. My number's going to be different to Ben and you. Yeah, no, I think they will be. Three for that death. I just, can I just... I assume yeah. that was the three blind. Well, I, that's a good point. And I just want to quickly, because we're going to obviously not really talk too much about um, Strangway now, because, well, he's dead. But um, the I just want to quickly say the... <laughs> I'm just reading about, yeah. well, he's also, in, and in real life too, rest in peace, Timothy Moxon. But um, I just want to quickly say that he was, in 1967, was in another Caribbean movie called Come Spy With Me, and then he actually went on to appear at fan events, signing autographs at James Bond conventions. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, oh my God, you're the guy who, like, died in the first ever Bond movie in the, like, first two minutes. Can I have your autograph? Robert he's Letty! Definitely, <laughs> he's definitely taking his earned um, fame and extending it. Yes. But, yeah, uh, uh, what do you guys think about the three bottom mice? Because I really do like them, even though they're barely in. I was going to say, uh, there's a bit of a contrast here between Strangways and the Three Blind Mice, because if you look at this movie, and as I said at the beginning, most of what we see in Doctor No are clear setups for what we're going to see for the next 22 movies after this. Or almost 23 but with the three blind mice it, i feel like had this been two or three movies down the road just the idea of these characters would have been major they would have been as big as odd jobs because it is such an interesting idea for these assassins like mr wint and mr kid uh, yes. but but they didn't really fully uh uh utilize them in this one whereas I think they would have later on. Meanwhile, Strangways is different because there's one other moment I'll bring up a couple scenes from now where it was almost like you said, Noah, throwback to the book, where I think at this point they knew the James Bond books were very big and they were trying to get that audience that read the books in to see the movies. So including Strangways in there and including uh, something later on like the Bond's Beretta, uh, were obvious moments where they wanted to target that book audience, where by the time you get to even Goldfinger two movies later, they're like, screw the the book audience. I mean, more people are watching these movies. Nobody even knows there are books. Well, that's the thing, and, and as I'm sure you guys will touch on too, talking more about the books, is that this was not the first um, book in terms of like the, the order, the canon of James Bond, the character, um, and... It, it sort of it makes it interesting and I was reading a little bit about kind of some of these mentions from the books and like that the Beretta scene which was a throwback to from Russia with love if I if I'm if I'm correct yeah. there um, so you know there are those things which is as you're pointing out they're, they're doing that for the the book because I, I guess kind of in the 60s I mean not to take away from book readers today a lot of people still read books but like in you know the 1960s <laughs> you're just alienating everyone I've already said that nobody <laughs> born, lived in the 60s listened to podcasts now I'm pissing all over book readers and every other James Bond fan who hates Die Another Day um, but like you know I, I, I'm assuming that back sort of in this era uh, book readership was a lot higher I mean TV hadn't been around for that long it, it was something that was um, a, a, an activity that people did a whole lot more but to go back to your initial question then Noah about the three blind mice I, it's a great setup to have these 
three blind guys who out of nowhere just shoot someone. Um, and if you, you know, you're like, oh shit, they're pretty good, you know, shoot shots for, um, for blind, <laughs> blind people. Guy. Like it's, it's, it'd be a running joke with any James Bond movie that henchmen can't shoot straight, but like the blind ones can. Um, so maybe, maybe for future Bond films, just like gouge your henchmen's eyes out, um, you know, and they'll be fine shooting. So, um, just on the, the point you brought up on the book, and we'll talk more about that, but I was trying to find out why they did Dr. No, and I, I did a bit of research. I couldn't find out the exact reason why this one was picked as the first one, other than it was cheaper to produce, and they didn't have the rights to Casino Royale or Thunderball. No, not Thunderball. Thunderball? Um, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to do Thunderball, yeah. They wanted to do Thunderball, and they couldn't do that. Um... And I guess Dr. No was recent. I don't know, Colin, do you have any insight as to the exact reason well, why this one? From what I understand, it was partly, like you said, the budget. It was an easier one to film, but also because it included so many of the common elements that they wanted in the Bond movies. It had a great location where they could film. And keeping in mind, in 1962, if you had movies that took place in the Caribbean or whatever, you were filming it on a soundstage with, you know, bad blue screen or rear screen projection so <laughs> this was something where like we can use a location where this is still new most people have never seen jamaica uh you have the bond girl in a bikini you have the the villain with the absurd mutation it had all the right elements they were looking for that they would eventually use in the later movies um before we move on to london ben can we have one more mary ah! <laughs> I think we need to transition with three blind <laughs> Watch them go. I do want to say, I, I mentioned that there is one blooper, I guess you could call it, or mistake in the movie. And I'm surprised nobody has really talked about this online when you look at it. Uh, at the very moment when the car is pulling away after the whole Strangways and Mary killing, you can clearly see the giant flare of the, the movie lights that they were filming with in the reflection of the car window it's like uh, the most one. obvious thing ever you would think uh, you mentioned the car um obviously it's easier to carry a body in a hearse but is that not <laughs> is the most suspicious that's not the most suspicious uh <laughs> villain uh, henchman car that there's just Hearse roaring well, down the road. Like, uh, especially what? when people look to their right and they see a blind man driving. <laughs> <laughs> a blind man driving a hearse. They're, they're uh, not that strict in Jamaica with who gets a license. You just walk yeah. into the, the local transport authority. I'd like to drive a car. Here you go, sir. Off you pop. <laughs> what happened in Jamaica, Steve? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> But well, um, we're going to move yeah, on to other, London. Just quickly, what other villains have their own theme song? We should mention that. What? Three? Blind <laughs> <laughs> the movie's called Dr. No, but the Dr. No theme song is about the three blind mice. <laughs> Dr. No, in a row. <laughs> He's got um, <laughs> He is Three half Chinese and German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, like, that's amazing that they've got their own theme song, and I'm sure we'll be touching on three blind mice song a lot before the end of this yeah but uh we have to talk about james bond in this and uh, it again is interesting that bond is introduced a couple of scenes into the movie in uh, the very first bond movie and personally i always loved again having seen this not as the first bond movie i saw but as maybe the third or fourth that they almost tease revealing bond where you're mm. not really seeing his face and 
you're just sort of seeing what's going on around him. Um, this was picked, I believe, recently uh, as like the my most iconic introduction to any character in movie history. What do you guys think? Um, well, yeah, this scene. First, I should note uh, that this casino looks like the worst casino ever. Like <laughs> everyone in there is over the age of seventy. Uh, I know this when I'm walking. <laughs> What is he doing there? That is so not his style. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this scene is so well filmed uh, where you see his hands and um, you see Sylvia and like you hear Bond but, and then obviously the reveal. Like, I love that they didn't show him but at the same time, we didn't know who this guy was so they're hiding someone from us that we have no idea who, he is, who it is. So like... The big reveal when he says his name is like, I guess that's the name of the film's protagonist, but we don't really know who this guy is, so it seems a bit funny that they're hiding him. But just, this is the best scene of the movie, the way it's shot, it's amazing, and that reveal is the best Bond, James Bond, but the entire series, I absolutely love it, it's so good. Completely agree, it's so iconic. Um, that's the one that whenever you watch any James Bond documentary, it's the first bit they show, and just how it's filmed and and sort of the slow reveal. I mean, you could you could imagine someone like Steven Spielberg who kind of got well known for his slow reveals in like Jaws and like Jurassic Park when you know you Raiders. don't yeah you don't get to see the until a lot later on in the film. I mean, this is just elements from that, but and and the fact that when they cut to him and you see him with the smoke in his mouth and you get the ding 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 ding. Like it's just, it's just great, and um, I just, I my favorite bit of the whole thing is just how like proper in English it is. Like you know, a guy's trying to get someone. Oh, I'll leave my card, and he goes in and goes, oh, "This person, oh, all right, I'll pop off and see him." <laughs> like it's just so like yeah, that is so oh, not the way Bond sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily Bond, but like the the what the croupier, the guy who comes in and gets him. Like you know, imagine if that was like at a restaurant today, they would just text him. Oh, he's here out the front <laughs> for me. I'll go get him. And are they playing? Is it baccarat? They're playing. At the table? Yeah. Because it's very similar to Goldeneye when they're in Monaco. And they're like... He's very Baccarat central. Yeah. But should we be crediting Sylvia Trench for giving James Bond his um, his catchphrase? Because she was the one who I was going to mention that. (laughs) And I never noticed that until I watched it before we recorded this. I always assumed, okay, because everybody knows Bond, James Bond, and he says it in every movie. But if you watch this closely enough and you're paying attention... He's imitating what she's saying. She says, yeah. Trent, Sylvia Trent. And, he go, and she's like, and your name? And he goes, Bond, James Bond. He's just imitating her. So she really did give us that catchphrase, Bond, James Bond. Thanks, Sylvia. Sure. Yeah, so um, I, we'll see next film. But I think Bond might have something for Sylvia. And he, he's still using her lines. And 50 I, years later. I have to say that, um, and again, we, we, we will be doing an episode on kind of like parodies and films that were, you know, influenced by James Bond, but the first Austin Powers movie and, and, and you know, successive Austin Powers movies have so many elements from Dr. No, and just the scene when Austin Powers is in that table in Las Vegas, and just, and I, I meant to be watching this seriously, but I'm just imagining him then going into the toilet and, um, oh, me lucky charms, and, uh, you know, it's just the whole scene there. <laughs> and you know they're at that yeah, anyway. I'm sorry, I just have to jump. Was in. that that yeah. elegant croupier then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, be lucky, Charles. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's a uh, great introduction. Like, of course, brilliant. he's going to be in a casino, um, smoking Bond Jones Bond. Best introduction of any character ever. And again, just a little bit of trivia here that ties into 
both Bond's introduction, the theme music, and even Sylvia Trench, is that when they made this movie, they always intended for this to be a movie series, so several things were put in place that they wanted to use throughout the movies, and the character Sylvia Trench is one of those, that they wanted Bond to have a girlfriend that would kind of appear like this at the beginning of every Bond movie, and then he'd leave her to go on the mission, and then when you come back to the next movie, she'd be there. Now, of course, we only saw her in the first two, but that was the original plan they had, was to have her pop up like this in every single movie. And, of course, the uh, good tidbit from the documentary is that Lois Maxwell, who is Moneypenny, was given the option to either play Sylvia or Moneypenny. Um, and uh, she didn't want to get dressed up in a uh, like skimpy outfit or anything like that, so she chose Moneypenny. Yeah. <laughs> good yeah, she choice, chose Lois. <laughs> Which in this movie obviously seems like the less interesting character because you, you don't get to sleep with Bond, you know, you don't get to uh, be there for the introduction, give him his name, but obviously it was the right choice on her part just because she didn't want to stand there in her panties for one shot. And you get yeah. to um, use your real voice in the movie as well. That's right. <laughs> as we should mention, uh, my name is. Eunice Gason, who plays Sylvia, Sylvia Trench, is voiced by Nikki Vanderzil. <laughs> Nobody working in the film industry in England was competent to speak their own lines. And can I just say, Eunice Gason is still alive. She's English. So for some reason, they've like thought, oh, let's give her a bit of a foreign accent. And then, like, so Nikki Vanderzil, like, she plays two characters in the one movie. Like, good on her. Um, and, uh... Um, in the trailer, if you watch the trailer, it's on the DVD and Blu-ray, is they actually had Eunice's original voice, and then they, before they overdubbed it when they made the trailer, and there is nothing wrong with her voice at all. Like, so it's not like, hello, my name's Dredd, still be a Dredd! Obviously, <laughs> Ursula couldn't really speak much English, so that's why they did that, but Eunice... I, I can't figure out the reason why they felt the need to get Nikki in the game. I'm sure you get to pay them less if their voice isn't in the movie, so it may have been a budgetary thing. <laughs> I like I like Ben's idea, though, that every time somebody doesn't uh, get their own voice in the movie, we have to imagine what they really sounded like. Yeah. Trench! Sylvia Trench! <laughs> um, we should move on to the... Uh, Meeting with M, and you can tell. Mentally, yeah, I'm not sure. Well, pre- oh, you guess. There's there's so much that happens in this next scene. We'll kind of break it up. That there's three iconic characters that are all yeah. introduced at the same time as Bond being given his mission. And obviously, if you can't figure it out from the opening scene, his mission is to find the three blind mice, right? Um, <laughs> along <laughs> whoever is behind the three blind mice in uh, the disappearance of Strangways, but. Um, this next scene when Bond does go to M's office, I mean, we have the introduction back to back to back. We have the first scene with Money Penny, the first scene with M, and the first scene with not yet Paul Q, played by Desmond Llewellyn, but Boothroyd, not even Major Boothroyd. Poor so, man's Desmond Llewellyn. <laughs> poor man's Desmond Llewellyn. Voiced by Nicky Vanderzil. Hello, my name is Q. Um, <laughs> No, it's Russian. Yes, my name is Q. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if either of you two meant saw it, but on the wall into MI6, this is the first time I've ever caught that is Universal Export yes. sign. Yes, I've written that down in my notes. Bond's, yep. Bond's cover is that he works for Universal Export, 
that's the first time I've ever noticed that sign on the hallway into uh, Money Penny's office. And who, what, who's working at three a.m.? Like, what secretary is just sitting there at three a.m. Um, waiting to get sat on by James Bond? Like, we have to point this out. Like, yes, the sixties were different, and yes, James Bond movies aren't exactly the most unsexist films in the history of cinema. But the fact that he just walks in Unsexed. and sits on his secretary's lap. Like... Okay, well, we we are going to see some sexist stuff here, but it's not like Money Penny isn't reciprocating this attention to Bond. I mean. She's not complaining, and chances are there's been a few times she's walked into his office and sat on his lap. <laughs> like spanking. <laughs> um, was it 3 a.m.? I didn't notice. Yeah, they said, like, when he yeah. walks into M's office, he's like, oh, thank you for coming in at 3 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's well, a lot of people playing cards at 3 a.m., so there must be a lot of people typing up uh, reports. And, like, my question is, why are they dressed so yeah. professional? If If... I would assume, okay, something's come up. Strangways has been killed. You know, Money Penny, you have to come in. So why is she throwing an evening gown? Like, wouldn't she be there in her pajamas? And <laughs> if it's if it's three a.m., um, M tells Bond that his flight is in three hours. Do they do six o'clock flights to Jamaica? I thought they they wouldn't start till seven at least. Or why? I mean, when Strangways was killed in Jamaica, it was in the middle of the day. So I mean, yeah. What's the time a... difference? We should be checking the yeah. time difference. <laughs> well, I just, I just like the fact that Bond clearly gets no sleep. I mean, unless he sleeps on the plane. But like, by the time he, he's just played cards, he's, he's about to get laid. He <laughs> goes in, gets his mission, goes back, gets laid, and he gets on a plane. <laughs> was this a Saturday? Like, was Bond not supposed to be at work at six in the morning anyway? <laughs> what's, what's, what's he doing playing cards at three a.m.? What's the fly time between Jamaica and London? Would he have any time to even relax? I don't know. And what were the planes like in 1962? Like, I mean, you, you wouldn't get, like, an iPad to watch your, you know, Game of Thrones in the meantime. Well, we, we have to talk about, uh, obviously, Major Boothroyd or Boothroyd, the original Q. Um, this scene is very important because it does introduce what is the signature gun for James Bond, the Walter PPK. But there's... An interesting backstory behind this. Now, obviously, as we mentioned before, um, the the end of From Russia with Love, the book, is referenced here. Even though From Russia with Love is, you know, obviously going to take place next in the movies, they mention that Bond's gun jammed up on him on his last mission, which is why they're switching his gun. That's what happened at the end of the From Russia with Love yeah. book. Again, another cool reference where they're bringing in something from the book. Well, it's kind of. Yeah, if you've read the books, it makes sense. He's, he's getting a new gun because it jammed up, I think, with his fight with Rosa Klebb. Um, I think that was it. Um, but it works on two levels because it works if you've read the book, but it also works as a setup. Like, this is the first mission we're seeing, so we're introducing this whole concept of this is the gun um, and this is what happened in the past, but now this is the beginning of the story that we're going to be watching for 50 years. So it actually works on two levels, and I like it like that. Um, and Ian Fleming, it's on the DVD, um, Ian Fleming actually changed the gun because a gun expert <laughs> called George Boothroyd <laughs> wrote him a letter saying that the Beretta is a bad gun and should not be used. And how would we be now? I mean, the Walter PPK is just so synonymous with James Bond. So um, I, I like... George Boothroyd? We also get... Um, 
sort of setting it up that we we realize that you know the character of James Bond is he's not just like a new agent he's obviously very experienced because he's been around what for 10 years as it's sort of mentioned and obviously references to previous missions and all this sort of stuff and um I like the fact too that M mentions MI7 which um, apparently, <laughs> apparently was done because he initially did say MI6, but they did it so that they didn't piss off the real MI6, even though it gets or changed. MI5. Yeah, it gets changed. Yeah, but isn't that MI5? Oh, well, MI5. There's an MI6 too, I believe. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not a secret agent, or am I? Um, but I also like the fact that M mentions, since I've come into control, there's been a 40% drop in double O casualties. Like, fuck, who was in control before with all these double O's dying? And how many double O's? Like did double O thirty seven like I wrote that in my notes, but like uh <laughs> <laughs> who um, I want to see a prequel series of M, the previous M. Um, who was running that business? And do is the only double O? Um, where my memories may be cloudy here, but is the only other double O we actually get to see as a major person? Is that Alec Trevelyan and Goldmire, or is there another double O that we kind of get a bit more of? Well, we do see. Uh, I think it was double O two or double O three. He was killed at the beginning of Octopussy. He was. The clown that got uh, yeah. the knife in the god. That's that's and then of course good. in in Thunderball they say all the double O's are here and there's a room full of people. So you'd assume a couple of them were what, his what is the the timeline of the thing? Is is when M says there's been a forty percent drop? Is he referring <laughs> to D- Judy Dench? Was she like really bad at the job? And then just <laughs> after that, and Judy Dench is responsible for all those deaths. <laughs> I'm not completely sure on the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's one more thing I want to mention on the the Beretta, which, uh, as was mentioned, it, this came from a real incident where a real gun expert sent Ian Fleming a letter and said, the gun you have for Bond Pretty is cool. garbage. But I have to wonder, because I do know that the, the real letter is available somewhere online where you could see the handwritten letter. I was able to find it today, but there was a great line where I wonder if this is how he referred to it as, or if this is another one of those moments that dates James Bond is maybe a little bit sexist when Boothroyd, Bond saying, I've never had a problem with the bread before, and uh, <laughs> Boothroyd, I believe, says, it's nice and light in a lady's handbag. Like, all <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's what the letter or the documentary says. It's a lady gun. <laughs> so that's that's the nice way of saying, James, it's a bit of a girl's gun. <laughs> yes, so girls' guns jam up when you're fighting Russian ladies. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, but yeah, this Boothory character is I'm so glad they did not keep him. And I think he was supposed to return next film, but he was unavailable. Which thank God yeah. he was unavailable. Can you imagine, like, not getting Desmond Llewellyn for what 18 or 17 of the next 18 straight movies? Yeah. If this guy, what's his name, Peter Burton, had not been available from Russia with Love. Well, Peter Burton actually was in the 1967 Casino Royale, so, um, and he was also in Thunderball, apparently, was he? Okay. I'm just reading um, his film credits here. But his first uh, ever movie was What the Butler Saw in 1950. <laughs> what did the butler saw? Did you ever like, find that out? I couldn't tell you. Peter could, but he's dead. But uh... um, <laughs> Nice memorial, Ben, again. <laughs> but, yeah, Q is not really much of a character in the books. It's more of a film. Like, he is in a bit. Booth Lloyd, um, I think he... Maybe I'm wrong, but in the documentary book, he's just referred to as the armsman. They may mention his name. Um, so this was never meant to be a major character. The sole purpose here is to introduce the gun. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm glad they never brought him back, because Boothroyd, no, no. And and we don't want to, like, Q's just so easy, like, Boothroy, like, Boothroy <laughs> Lab. <laughs> like, it doesn't sound the same. Okay, so after Boothroyd and his lady's gun, um, <laughs> Bond goes back home to get ready for his flight or sleep his 45 minutes before he has to leave, <laughs> and... What does he find at home? He finds somebody in better shape than Lois Maxwell wearing her panties <laughs> playing golf. <laughs> and the suspenseful music as he goes into his house. <laughs> and it's just golf. Um, <laughs> but the big question here, how did she get in? Yes! <laughs> like, you'd think James Bond would have a good security system at his house. <laughs> Like, did he give her a key or what? I was thinking that too. Like, I mean, this guy is James freaking Bond. And he walks in and she's obviously been there for a little bit of time because, like, she's playing golf. Like, and <laughs> what what time is it at this point? If it was 3 a.m. At, at M's office, how far does Bond live um, from M? Is he just 10 minutes down the road? or And how long has she been there? Like, when did he leave the casino? All these questions. And would you not get to somebody's house at 5 a.m.? They're not home. Oh, they'll probably be home in about 15 minutes. <laughs> She's there. Like, did he tell her he would be back? Like, and for a moment, I thought um, it wasn't his apartment. I'm like, is this the casino hotel? I'm like, well, I read it's one of only two times you get to see James Bond's apartment in the entire uh, like dying, so. film series, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so this would be his... Why is she playing golf? <laughs> well, there's not much to do in the 60s. She couldn't be sitting around there playing PlayStation. <laughs> Normally at 4am, I'm a bit tired to be playing golf. <laughs> well, she wasn't too tired to be playing cards at 3am. <laughs> and the kissing, can I just point out the kiss, like, 1960s cinema kisses, it just, they look so awkward. They well, just, well, they just fair, lean in uh, and, like, hold their lips together, there's no movement. Yeah, uh, Eunice actually did it quite well, but Nikki Vandersell overdubbed the kiss, um, <laughs> so that's actually her, that's her lips that you're looking at. Yeah. That's Nikki. <laughs> that's not Eunice's lips, that's uh, Nikki. And also, in all fairness to Bond, um, you know, he said he had a flight to catch, and he's probably done in about, like, two minutes. So then he was off to catch his plane. Um, and well, yeah, so we need to add one to the kiss count, then, do we? Are we calling it the kiss count? Because I'm calling it the something else count. <laughs> the get you know, lucky sorry, count. Until, I don't, I don't want to, you know, dig up this can of worms, but until we get to die another day... <laughs> We yes! don't really get to call it anything but the kiss kiss count. Well, that's it because yeah, and that's the only time we've had a sex scene, isn't it, in any James Bond film? Yeah, <laughs> Halle Berry and Pierce Brosnan getting it on. I knew I shouldn't have mentioned it. Uh, no, no, like God, we're only what about nineteen films away from that masterpiece. And yeah. To mention the quote, I need to leave immediately, <laughs> almost immediately. <laughs> and then he is off to Jamaica. Finally, the only location. Uh, in James Bond, again, we're so accustomed to having him travel to two or three different countries, and here he goes to one country in the movie. We're 15 minutes in, so he's off to Jamaica. We get to see him land at the airport. We get to see this is what I really like. This movie found interesting ways to introduce all the characters. We talked about, you know, there was the introduction to Money Penny, M, Boothroyd, Sylvia, but. Having the both the photographer and Felix introduced in this way where it's very mysterious what's going on, I thought that was like the perfect setup for this point of the movie where it's like he is a spy, he has to figure things out because 
Felix is kind of just a stalker here at the beginning of the movie, isn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it's a good introduction for that character too, though, is like you said, it's like, is he a goodie or a baddie? We don't know at this point, but one thing to mention with Felix, glasses. Did you not see his glasses? It was the 60s, Noah, that was the cool thing to wear. <laughs> He's got the funkiest glasses I've seen in my <laughs> life, like... Seriously, those glasses. I like the fact. I like the fact um, that we sort of touched on it before. But security measures at airports in the sixties. <laughs> he walks off the plane. There's a guard who like looks at the outside of his bag. Like, You're right, mate. Off you pop, and then like off off you go. That's all you need to get into Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, that was a bit off. But I love that uh, he says he's got the car. Oh well. The other thing I wrote in my notes is Bond stealing the taxi from the girl. Yes! <laughs> what the hell was that? And what did the girls say? They're like, oh, all right then. And he's like, oh, no, yeah. here you go. <laughs> You've got um, the sassy girls, which were very rightfully so. She just <laughs> yes. shoves them to the... What, what is that See, Why was that in there? The inspiration of James Bond is kind of a prick. <laughs> <laughs> Like, alright. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just gotten him. in and then we wouldn't have had the whole situation with the guy. Like, that guy would be alive today. He wouldn't have taken cyanide and it not be for James Bond being polite. <laughs> but, well, yeah. again, this just shows, like, how inept uh, Dent and Dr. No's plans are is that this entire assassination attempt on Bond was hinging on the fact that <laughs> Bond would not be able to steal a cab away from a defenseless woman. I just love that um, when he hears about the car, though, he then goes to the phone and checks, and when he finds out the car is not for him, he still gets in just to screw yes. with that guy. Just to get that guy in. Uh, and this is what for. makes... This is what makes Bond, like, a super spy, because throughout this entire movie, and even the later movies, he does stuff like this, where he just figures things out, and a lot of people overly, maybe overly criticize the more recent movies as relying on gadgets. I mean, gadgets have their place, but in this movie, it's just all Bond's own intelligence, and yet it's just as entertaining to watch as a gadget, because he has fun with it. Yeah, I love that, too. I love the fact that when he comes out of the telephone box, Felix sort of comes there, like, opens it door, looks, and he's like, oh, he was just in the phone box, and closes the door and walks up, like, mate, were you not watching? Like, what's the point of slightly opening it, looking, oh, there's a phone in the phone box. Did we notice um, the overuse of the main theme as well? Like, Bond walking into the Yeah, I was only going to do that as a separate count. Like, I think Bond walking into his hotel. I was only going to count how many times we heard because it was like, Bond thinks. Bond steals a taxi from a defenseless woman. Like, it's really overused. Not that I'm complaining. I love it. It is interesting because I always looked on Dr. No and I'm like, this... It was where the James Bond music started because of how good the theme is. But unless you sit down and listen to Monty Norman's soundtrack, you don't realize how out of place it is. It's all Calypso music. And I'm not even talking like underneath the mango tree, but just <laughs> random instrumental Calypso music. So thank goodness they had the James Bond theme to put in there <laughs> 76 times in the first 15 minutes. I think it would have been good if he's walking out of the airport and you're dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba I do like the use of I like the use of the Calypso music for set in Jamaica, which is something they 
never really emulated too much in the future of using the location. Now, come on, in Die Another Day, we had heaps (laughs) of North Korean-inspired music. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Are we back to Die Another Day already? (laughs) This is bad for the first time. I love how we came into this thinking it would be George Lazenby. Can I just say it's taken an hour and one minute to mention George Lazenby, folks? But um, (laughs) we're mentioning more about Die Another Day than the great George Lazenby. We? We? (laughs) Oh, yes! (laughs) Hardly a we, but yeah, we should move on to this, uh, leaving the airport. Yeah, well, I mean, when he leaves the airport, again, like Noah said, with the guy in the car that he already knows wasn't sent for him. (laughs) uh, First of all, I'm going to mention this later on, but how inept are Professor Dent and Dr. No's plans at getting rid of James Bond? (laughs) What did he expect to do with having Bond sitting behind him and just driving really fast. Like, was he going to drive the car off a cliff? Was this a suicide <laughs> driver that was sent? What was his plan? My, my note for this is no drama in the car chase at all. Slash worst fighter ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, impaled him. Uh, that fight, the fight scene is hilarious because, like, Bond's, like, knocked him down, like, five times, and he still won't give up. And I'm just waiting for Bond to stick his little finger out and just be like, Poop! And, and that's the first fight as well in the entire series. Yes, um, and he's, like, yeah. you know, trying to get the gun out of the glove box. Like, uh, Bond should have just shot him. In the in the book, uh, it's Quarrel driving in here, and it's someone chasing them, and it's at night time. So I guess they thought that they needed to wait for the Quarrel, because he already knew Quarrel at this point, so they couldn't really yeah. introduce him here. Because Quarrel was introduced to what was in Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die, yeah. Yeah. So with with this guy, again, in the fight scene, as you guys were mentioning, the, the thing that stands out for me is when we get to From Rush With Love only one movie later, the fight scenes are just so fast and so exciting, and that really was one of the things that set the Bond movies apart. But they, they seem to over-rely, if we're getting to the how they made this in both the car chase and the fight they don't do anything other than just speed up the take like there's all these awkward (laughs) jumps where it's normal speed and then they seem to speed it up you know about three times (laughs) when he flips the guy speed up three times when they round a corner it's like it's so clearly just the sped up film yeah um but it's it's not that i like the bit where he flips him over that's a cool end to the fight i guess i don't get the chase though because like this guy's obviously wanting to kill Bond and there's a guy chasing him so this guy instead of being like oh well maybe I should let them catch up so they can shoot him then there's like four of us compared to just one Bond I will speed off to put the impression that I'm actually helping Bond that guy actually does method acting drama classes (laughs) at night and he got a bit wrapped up in the role of the driver and then when he turned that corner wouldn't that be the opportunity to flick the wheel a little bit to the other direction to roll the car and then, yeah. like, I mean, bang, dead. Bond's gone. We don't have 23 films. Like. You know, he he could reach in the glove box. He could turn around. He could shoot him. But what does he do? He wipes the sweat from his brow. Yeah. Like, how bad is this guy that he's so sweaty? He can't stand sweating for five more seconds. He's got to wipe his sweat away instead of killing Spectre's, the man. Spe- to Spectre's kill. recruitment forms mustn't, like, do you want to kill people? Yes, you are hired. Hello, I'm your driver. Sweat pouring from me. I'm not a bad guy. (laughs) Anyway, that's And then we do have to say the first death by cyanide. Like, I count. (laughs) I I was always under the impression that Bond killed this guy, as even though I knew the guy killed himself, but that's. It's got to be a pretty cool death. It was something different that 
obviously you hadn't seen it's kind of shocking looking back now to see that a 1962 movie would have somebody committing suicide on screen so you count this as a as a bond kill no i i had counted it just because i mean he died because you know james bond i figured bond was going to kill him anyways i didn't end up counting it because then it occurred to me it's like no he kills himself because Hmm. you just don't expect to see suicide in a James Bond movie. And, and how, wish... does he know what cigarette it is? Like, what happens if he, like, let Bond go? <laughs> like, later on, he lights it up. Oh, fuck, wrong one. <laughs> I just used uh, Mary's scream uh, for his death. <laughs> <laughs> or Nikki. <laughs> Nikki Van Der yeah, that's, that's the fight scene. <laughs> I, I like after the fight scene, though, when he pulls up probably the first real good bad one-liner for james bond (laughs) (laughs) what what was it he said make sure he doesn't uh get away or he's got like he's like dead his skin's starting to turn a different color and that guard sort of looks and and like what's like this is what the government house or whatever the hell it is like again great security embassy pulls up with a dead body doesn't even (laughs) introduce himself i'll just walk in he's a dead body oh that's okay sir that's fine jamaica security And do they know who Bond is? Like, shouldn't they have checked the outside of his briefcase or something to confirm his identity? Um, this colonel guy in the embassy is the most pointless character in the entire film. When they're taken to uh, Strangway's office, the guy says, That's blood on the floor. <laughs> he must have died. He just states everything we are looking at on the screen there is nothing on there that he said that adds to the plot whatsoever they really should have saved the budget and not had that guy because he is the most pointless character ever oh that's hilarious uh moving on to bond in his hotel and this again is uh like i was saying earlier the bond movies maybe over reliance on gadgets later on Bond sets all these booby traps to find out, you know, if anybody's going to break in his room by putting talcum powder on his briefcase and <laughs> licking a hair and putting it to the closet. Um, was that part of his hairpiece, or was that actually an original Sean Connery <laughs> hair? Hey. That's original Connery there. <laughs> and um, this is the first uh, martini he gets as well at this scene. Yeah. Does he order it here? Uh, yeah, they bring him... Uh, Medium dry, vodka martini. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's my question, though, about his booby traps. He's worried about the briefcase in the closet. Um, <laughs> couldn't he have done something to the front door? Because if, if they're going to break in, how does he know they're not just going to be sitting there in a chair waiting for him to come in to shoot him in the face? Like he does later on. <laughs> exactly. Like, he's, he should be smarter than this. He's like, I want to make sure they're not hiding in my briefcase or my closet. <laughs> I love uh, when he leaves the hotel and he's talking to the guys about Strangway, the, like, the most British people ever. <laughs> oh, yes, Strangways, yes. Um, and, of course, Dan's there. Wonderful job. <laughs> Mildred, <laughs> come over here. <laughs> Mildred and Gaffer were there. Gaffer, Gaffer, and um, he—he he was talking to a Cayman Islander, and they quarrelled. <laughs> like he's Michael Caine and now. Dent there, of course, you don't expect anything about Dent there, but yeah, this is the most fancy British people ever. <laughs> Uh, it just reminded me when he's there getting the talcum powder and the hair. Did you ever used to get those junior spy kits when you were little? And they said, like, oh, you can be a junior spy and 
place a hair on your door to see if anybody goes into it and make sure your sister doesn't go into your personal box by looking at... Like, it just reminded me of like the basic children's spy things you learnt. But... Like you look in the back of a comic book, it's like, made of authentic Sean Connery hairpiece <laughs> hair. <laughs> yes. You too can be 007. <laughs> yeah. But it's well, yeah, it's it's and, and when we get to sort of jumping ahead to that very British scene, is James Bond wearing lipstick at that point? Like he's got very <laughs> red pink lips. I just the whole scene, I'm looking at going, is Sean Connery wearing lippy? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's all part of the trap in the hotel. <laughs> trust me. Yeah, and then Coral follow up on. Ben uh, <laughs> <laughs> is staring at Bond's lips, <laughs> and we're moving on. <laughs> Yeah, but they were the, the lips actually were Nicky Vander's. Um. <laughs> That's right. They transposed Nicky Vander's overdubbed his lips. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but then Coral. Um, yeah. Well, okay. This is again great introduction. I'll say of all the character introductions outside of Bond in this movie, the introduction of Quarrel has to be the best. Uh, Bond goes to his boat. He starts questioning him. Quarrel's all suspicious. They get into a fight, like, and then they're okay right afterwards. It's like, sorry, I almost stabbed you there, Bond. It's like, oh, it's all right. Like, this was such a great introduction. And I know Quarrel, there's going to be some opinions on, you know, his character and maybe being offensive. But, like, Quarrel was such a fun character. I like my favorite line of the whole bit is when he's like going up to him and introducing him, and he's like, I can't remember what Bond says, but then Quarrel's like, I like people who are friends with people. <laughs> like, <laughs> What the hell is like that? Other kinds, <laughs> as opposed to like loners or <laughs> you're not friends with people. No, I don't like you. <laughs> and we also get the the first great Bond name for like, these are usually reserved for the Bond girls, but Pussfella, <laughs> Quarrel, and Pussfella. Anything to get it into the film. Yeah. <laughs> we should be doing a separate Puss count. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've written in my notes uh, that that's the first mango tree uh, in yeah, the background. Yeah, I had yes. the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I love Quarrel. One of my favourite Bond allies ever. He's just so likeable. Quarrel, he's amazing. The question I have to pose there, Quarrel keeps saying Captain. I mean, is that... Does, does he know he's a captain or is that just kind of like the the treatment of certain... Like, is that... I, I, I actually legitimately want to know how, why is he calling James Bond a captain? Yeah, well, point? Bond's a commander, not a captain, so... But, like, is yeah. that is that just kind of because of his position and the era it was that sort of quarrels... Captain? You, they just call people captain? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a racial thing. Like, a, yeah, racist undertones. That's what I was trying to imply there. Like, is that what it was? Like, yeah. Well, what, what is it with you racist Australians and your mates? I mean, are you <laughs> trying to get it on with everybody you meet? What are you saying, mate? <laughs> I think um, Quarrel is more of a captain than Bond, though. He has his own... He has his own boat! boat. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond doesn't have his own boat! <laughs> well, he probably yeah. does, but yeah. <laughs> I love Quarrel. Quarrel is... I mean, I would rank Quarrel in all of Bond's helpers, sidekicks... Um, Man, racist, racially undertone, man's ter- servants, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Quarrel is right in my top five. I mean, yeah. he's such a good character, and the actor, voiced by Nikki Vanderzil, uh, <laughs> played it with so much personality. Like, you don't get this even out of M for a couple movies, like, as much personality as Quarrel yeah. had in this. I just love every scene Quarrel's in, he just makes better. The sad thing about um, John Kitzmiller 
played Quarrel. He actually died only three yeah, years after. Um, yeah. Doctor No, he died of a liver ailment. Yeah, it's terrible. He actually did one more movie after this. But um, I love the quote. Um, oh, sorry, were you going to say? No, no, no. You go, please go. Oh, and maybe you. Uh, sorry, I cut out for a second. You may have said it, but uh, Quarrels. In, are you Quarrel? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you or not? <laughs> Do I need to talk to guys well, on the road, or that, are you quarrel? Well, that reminds me. Actually, I did bring it up, sort of jumping back a little bit when um, Jay's when Bond's getting into the car from the guy at Government House, well, the, the alleged guy, and he's just like, "Are you James Bond?" James Bond's just like, "Yes." Like, what sort of spy is he? Like, he's got his name out there. And he's just, "Yes, I'm James Bond, yes. the spy." I mean, maybe. Quarrel is better. The name's Quarrel. Quarrel, quarrel. <laughs> but, yeah, Pussfellas Bar we're at now. Bond uh, taken out the back. Yes, into the boxes of alcohol with nothing in them. <laughs> this fight Which... scene was pretty good, though. I mean, the first one, not so good. But, I mean, Quarrel pulls a knife on Bond. <laughs> That's fantastic. Is that a knife? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Quar- Quarrel's uncredited role in Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the guy in the car came equipped with a sweaty handkerchief. Quarrel's got a knife. Doctor Quarrel's got the wrong people on his payroll. I like people who are friends with people with knives. <laughs> they really make it out like he's the bad guy, though. Yes. Um, and then we have Felix, and I wrote glasses, so I gave him brackets. I couldn't get over Felix's glasses um, coming out of that. And we're all friends. Yes, it's like, oh, here we go. And I love it when they when they frisk Bond. And they, like, notice, they, they never, ever frisk the groin. Like, he could have had, like, so many weapons on his balls. Like, Wouldn't it be he... great if they looked in his pocket and it's, what's this? And it's a stick of lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know how that got <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Is this lipstick? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And a mango. <laughs> And then nighttime. <laughs> and then we get the guy, we get Jumbuck, Jumbuck. Yes. Okay, this is the scene, more than anything else in the movie, I've been looking forward to talking, because not just for this guy we're about to talk about here, but this entire sequence is just amazing. Here we have... Noah, you, you're the musician here. What's the name of the band that is playing in the nightclub here? Oh, I didn't get that. Did they mention it? The um, Jumbuck band. They did. Because they were, they said, if you will, it, have the DVDs in the documentary. Oh, is it the Jamaican trio or no? No, it was a, um, there was a guy's name in it. Now, yeah. we're, we're real experts now. But they, they even said they were the biggest band at that point, and they're still the biggest band in Jamaica to this day, apparently. So they're <laughs> so Jamaica's One band. Direction. Yes. <laughs> that whole now song in that scene, though. So stuck in my head. Jump up, jump up. It's Jamaica. I swear they said jumbuck. And like, if you if anybody who have no idea what a jumbuck is, like, it's Australian for sheep. It's like Australian slang. And if you've ever heard the song Waltzing Matilda, they mentioned jumbuck in it. So, and the whole time I watched it, I was jumbuck. I'm like, oh, there's an Australian connection here to this song. I have to say that Jump Up Jamaica is a very repetitive song. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great song. As you said, it's been in your head all day. 
Does it not remind you of the canteen abandoned Star Wars? <laughs> Someone needs to re-edit that. And then it just reminds you. They need to do the reverse and put Jump Up Jamaica into a new home. And then it just reminds you the Family Guy parody where they're like, what's that? Play the same song again. Okay, Jump Up, Jump Up. needs to edit the dancing guy into the canteen. And, like, crazy dancing guy shot first. By the way, just before we move on, Byron Lee and the Dragonairs was the band, real band, oh, yeah, performing one of the real songs. And we have mentioned it, and if you have never noticed this part, oh, go back and watch it right now. As the photographer's <laughs> going taking pictures, the craziest looking guy dancing. He looks like he looks like he is both suffocating and having an epileptic seizure while <laughs> dancing. Yes. Three things all at once. I, just well, I imagine... hope we can get a screenshot or something of this up because this guy is so it's funny. On the... There's got to be a gif of this, surely, doesn't there? I just <laughs> imagine Terence Young, the director. Um, all right, extras. We've got all these Jamaican extras. Just dance. Look like you're having a good time. All of them. They're kind of getting into it, and then this one guy. <laughs> crazy. Either that, or he thought he was just at the uh, the dragon. What was the band called? Um, he thought he was at their concert or something, and didn't realize there was a Fire film. Me and the dragon ears. Yeah, he was. He, what was that? Nicky Vanderzeel and the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that guy's voice was actually Nicky's. <laughs> yeah, the real band played, but the singer wasn't in it. That was Nicky doing the. the nah. <laughs> but yeah, that crazy guy. Highlight of the film. Though, that uh, there is more than just underneath a mango tree on the radio. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because one thing I noticed is that I don't know if this was the song they intended or if it was just a bad shot, but when it first starts showing the band playing, I guess that's Byron Lee who's singing, his mouth isn't moving for the first few, and then it seems to be out of sync behind the microphone. So you got to wonder, was it supposed to be underneath the mango tree? And that one guy dancing was just so inappropriate. But, like, we can't refilm it now. Put a peppier song in there. I swear yeah. he gets more screen time than Strangway does. Well, that would, that, <laughs> that, that would um, worry me even more if it was originally underneath the mango tree. Because then that dancing guy seriously had something wrong if that's what he was dancing to underneath <laughs> the mango tree. They had to put a new song in there just because of how inappropriately he was dancing but underneath the mango tree. When he's dancing, he's just like he's running on the spot. He's, like, pointing that he looks <laughs> at that guy and... So why? Like, Do you think he's yeah. pinging on ice? Is he on drugs? This is the sixties. His cheeks are foaming out. Like is he there? Is he foaming at the mouth? Yeah, did he, um, he get one of those cigarettes or something? <laughs> <laughs> I just had a smoke. Cyanide's getting to me. <laughs> but if you don't know what we're talking about, I highly recommend you go back and watch the scene at Puss Bellows at night because that is <laughs> the highlight of the film. Just wait, just watch all the dancers. You will not miss them. It shows them twice throughout this. I've always watched this scene. It's so funny because I've always watched this movie. And from the very first time I saw it, I'm like, what is wrong with that guy? Like 15, 20 years ago, whenever I saw this. And then talking with Noah the other day, he's like, so I was watching Dr. Noah. And I don't know if you ever noticed, there's this one really crazy guy dancing. I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, it was like that kind of thing. It's like, did anyone else see that? Was that just me who saw that? <laughs> yeah. I, I want to talk about the photographer here, um, who has what? How many lines in this movie? Like two or three lines, but you're we hurting. should know. <laughs> you heard. Voice. Legitimately, we have joked about this, but legitimately voiced by Nikki Vanderzil. Um, <laughs> 
I have to say, Sylvia, like is that it. you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not me. <laughs> uh, I, I again like the idea, kind of like with the um, the, the three blind mice. Is like you don't really know where this character came from because she's just sort of there and then not there. But there's one moment with this that again was. I crack up laughing every time I hear this, where where Quarles basically got her arm behind her back trying to get information out of her, and Quarles like uh, she's not giving anything up to, up to us, Captain. Then he gets all excited. He's like, "You want for me to break her arm?" <laughs> <laughs> and she she slashes him in the cheek. Oh, that is like the worst scene ever. He doesn't even flinch. He's just like. Oh, he puts his hand to his face as if to say, oh. That's how awesome quarrel. <laughs> they just smeared some chalk from, like, a chalkboard on his face, and he just wipes away a ketchup packet or something. The effect but, does not sure, really work. Surely that's the most badass um, Bond ally ever, though. You get stabbed in the freaking cheek. Oh, yes. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Quarrel, so much personality. Like, I love this guy. Well, in Die Another Day, Halle Berry's pretty badass. Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Jeez. I love that um, <laughs> they're talking with the photographer. I'm an independent. Uh, what is uh, freelance? I'm a freelance. I'm freelance. Yeah, I was sent here for the paper. Call the paper. Check that she's here. I'm a freelance. <laughs> <laughs> are you a are you a reporter? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> is she? But you were saying before about the guy. The, um, the government house is pretty pointless. She's pretty pointless. Like, I know she's well, there I guess, watching. I guess it's just there to show that Dr. No is on to Bond and to re-emphasise her. Do you think they're just randomly written in, oh, we need to get Miss Jamaica in this film somehow? <laughs> so, and yeah. there is, that's the first mention of Dr. No is after the um, the original file in Strangway's office. Yeah, well, Felix, where Felix mentions Dr. No. Like, he has this <laughs> yeah. sinister way of saying it. <laughs> Well, this is probably the most Felix we get for the rest of the film, so should we talk about him just briefly? Um, best Felix, I think, hands down, oh, number one. Wow. That that may change after this rewatch, but for the moment, I don't think he can be top. But he's great. Up there with Jeffrey Wright, because Jeffrey Wright definitely has more to play, but um, the actor who plays Felix, I mean, he obviously went on to become hugely famous with Hawaii Five O, the original TV show. Um, yeah. But this is kind of just him. Like, if you've ever seen an episode, I remember... Uh, seeing an episode of Hawaii Five O when I was like seventeen or eighteen, and I'm like, it's the exact same character he put here, like sunglasses and everything. Well, I was reading about it that Jack Lord, that's the actor, um, he was actually apparently too cool to be against um, 007, so that's why they recast him in Goldfinger, because um, they thought that the character that Jack was playing against James Bond, yeah, was, like, too cool, so let's make him a little bit less unattractive. Well, the other thing I've heard... The other thing I've heard is he wanted co-star billing in Goldfinger, and they didn't want to give that to him. (laughs) So the producers say, maybe... Yeah, so they brought in Sex Linda or whatever his name is, who's the worst Felix Slider ever in Goldfinger, which we'll get to. But yeah, I think I was, wouldn't it have been great if he stayed for the entire Connery um, films and he was yeah. the same Felix? Like, I think the so, role would have been bigger with him. Yeah, they're so wish-washy. With, he would have been great in Goldfinger and Thunderbolt. Like, 
It's a bit of a shame. Do you think it would be like M in the fact that M was kind of just there and then Skyfall comes along? Oh, she's the Bond girl. So, like, will yeah. they do a future Bond movie where all of a sudden Felix is like, I don't know, maybe he turns evil. He gets all Alec Trevelyan <laughs> or something. Oh! I want them to do a, a more of a Felix role later sometime in the future. Follow the books and have him lose an arm. For your yeah. Felix's only. Well, well, then that's the other thing is... Felix, he's already met Bond at this point as well in the books. Um, in uh, the very first one, actually. So by this point, Felix, yeah, has lost a leg um, in the books. So very different. Well, we're moving on from this scene, and we're we're gonna have to talk about Professor Dent. He's appeared kind of briefly so far. Um, interesting trivia fact here: the actor who plays Professor Dent, who I would argue is probably at least in more of the movie than Dr. No is, as far as screen time. <laughs> yes. The actor, Anthony Dawson, would go on to play the original Blofeld when he's just sort of in shadows petting a cat <laughs> in a couple of the next yeah, Bond right. movies. So he played a more important character later on. But this scene coming up here where Professor Dent gets taken into some, I don't know, really dark odd-looking room, and then a booming voice of Dr. No is heard in the background. And we just mentioned right before that when Dent rushes to get to the yes, hideout, and the he's boat. at the boat, and he goes, take me, no, take me, okay. <laughs> I love that whole scene, because he's like, this Captain Boat guy is just all like, oh, whatever, he's doing his boat. Oh, I can't take you, you know what happens, I'll deal with the ramifications, okay. And he just like does like one tiny rope and then bug it off. Like, what was he waiting for somebody to like rush to Crab Key or something like that? Ed is very persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> the only good thing he can do in the movie is talk captains into getting fast to Crab Key. Yeah, that's his He's only like, success. Come on, please. <laughs> oh, I really want to go. As Colin mentioned, uh, the hideout with the one wooden chair. Like, what was that? <laughs> what was the purpose of this room? I think that's Doctor No's Fifty Shades room. Like. He's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, well, I, I want to sign a contract one. with you. <laughs> Okay, Ben, um, this scene here, why don't you talk about what the purpose of Dr. No bringing him here is? Why <laughs> is he talking to Professor Dent, and what is he giving Professor Dent going forward? Uh, look, he gives him, the, what, the spider, but, like, I don't, it's it's so strange, like, is this just a villain thing that they have to do with Spectre, like, we can't just have a meeting, or just come to my office and uh, have a chat, I'll give you a spider, and off you pop, it's like, no, I'll put you in a deep room, and I'll press a button, <laughs> sit down, go to the I, table. Isn't it funny that the chair and the spider was prepared, ready to go, yet Dr. No's having a go at him for coming during the day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how he know? But he had it prepared. <laughs> yeah, this, uh, again, I, we're making fun of this movie, but I mean, everything that we're making fun All of is still fun. great. I mean, this, yeah. to have a villain give a deadly spider as like, this is how you really, really kill somebody, like, that's cool. But, but was it deadly though, Colin? <laughs> Well, that, that's what I'm going to get to, because it, when this scene starts, he's insulting Professor Dent. He's like, you know, you've failed time and time again trying to kill James Bond, so now I'm going to do it right. So it gives him a spider to put in his room. Now, when we get to Bond entering his room and sleeping, I had a couple questions. One, what if Bond just sat on the spider as soon as he came yes. in? 
Two, what if the spider crawled under the door and killed somebody else? Three, the windows are open. The spider would have crawled out hours ago. Wouldn't Doctor it be great? Insulting. He's a very Professor smart spider. Wouldn't yeah, well, it be great <laughs> if um, a plot twist that Mary actually survived and she just got out of the hospital and she goes back and she gets bitten by the spider but, and gets killed again? Ah! But, like, also, how, like... Where so was the spider the whole time in the bed? Like, did did Dent have to come in, place the spider on the bed, and go? Wouldn't you just shoot him? Like, if he's asleep again, Austin Powers. When Scotty Evil is saying like, "I've got a gun right now, we can go and shoot him." And Doctor was like, "Scott, you just don't get it, do you?" Like, this is just reminding me. Like, why wouldn't you just shoot him? <laughs> I mean, and again, he's well, so we'll try that later. Sure. <laughs> the three blind mice haven't been able to do much so far, and uh, the, the the sweaty guy driving the car was in the wrong position or whatever. But you're saying we got to kill him, right? And you give him a spider. That's not I even mean, venomous. <laughs> yeah, it's, for all we know, it's not. I mean, and I do have to say, it is great watching this. It's very clear, especially if you watch this on DVD or Blu-ray, that there's a plate of glass covering yes. Sean Connery when the spider yes. is crawling. But then there are a couple of insert shots where this real spider is crawling oh. on, uh, I guess it would be Bob Simmons' arm or whatever. Oh. But do we know if this was a real poisonous spider? It's a tarantula, and tarantulas are not, they, they can't kill humans. So yeah. it's, um, it was so a. So why the plate glass for Sean Connery? Well, because he was deathly afraid of spiders. Sean Connery was well, absolutely terrified. So they did it to sort of separate it. And then, yeah, as you were saying, all the other shots were, were Bob's. Um... Well, um, yeah, I guess the whole scene is really just playing up to the whole arachnophobia thing. Oh, it works for me. Oh. Then as it is now. So I guess that's what it's for. But I looked they... away. I literally did not watch the whole scene. <laughs> Well, it's really a ridiculous scene to watch nowadays, but don't you love the, the killing of the spider? That's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with the dramatic music. I'm yeah, going to call great. this also, as, in our Kiss Kiss Bang Bang count, as the very first James Bond kill. Oh! And it is with authority. Like, he smacks that thing with the shoe about 60 times. <laughs> Well, that's a big yeah. call, Colin, for the first kill. Oh, okay. I, I, we'll be talking about that. Yeah. Um, any any argument on that, or are we going to call this? No, I think you could count that. Doesn't I he think kill? he could. He's, he's the first time he kills a living creature. So, Well, we don't know where that spider was before it crawled up his arm, so do we first count the first uh, kiss as well? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was inappropriate. I like the fact that when you see it, like, crawling up the sheet, like, you're just all of a sudden expecting, like, Sylvia to pop up again. Hello, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Couldn't we have had, like, one scene of the spider voice by Nicky Vanderbilt? <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Mr. Bond. <laughs> um, and Sean Connery sweating like a pig during that spider scene. Oh, oh was that, that was great. Like, this scene is very effective. Yeah, I don't know if he was really sweating or if they just did that or what, but yeah. I'll tell you one thing, if like if that's me and you've got that thing and you kill it, I'm not getting back into that bed. I'm changing rooms. I'm like, get get me out of this bloody hotel, there's spiders in it. <laughs> yeah. Could this be where the idea for Indiana Jones came later on about being afraid of something? 
Like Indiana Jones is afraid of snakes mm. because James Bond was afraid of spiders. Well, this is, they should relive this, like, because I, I like that kind of ongoing thing with Indiana Jones that he's afraid of snakes. Like, this is like James Bond's kryptonite. It's spiders. Like, surely that, like, if that, if Doctor No knew that somehow, or like, I'll get this spider and he's going to shit himself, then then Spectre in this upcoming movie should know that. Like, okay, <laughs> we're in the middle of a gun battle. Let out the spiders. <laughs> Why did it have to be the spiders? Why did it have to be spiders? Blame the spider suit. <laughs> uh, after this, we get, I guess you could technically consider it the first official gadget, unless the Walter PPK versus the ladies' gun uh, counts. <laughs> but Bond gets a Geiger counter, um, <laughs> which he tests on the bottom of a boat. <laughs> yeah and uh the radioactive rocks they're mm-hmm. very effective Which, again is a plot device um there seems to be a lot of radioactivity throughout this movie we'll get into it later but <laughs> jamaica's yeah like i would figure with the geiger counter going off like that why does he need a geiger counter like connery's chest hair would be falling out by this point just from the radiation <laughs> these Genuine. Very blase about radiation in the 1960s, I feel like. Oh, it's at 80. Oh, we'll just wash it off. Okay. What's that extra arm you've got growing out of you? Oh, that's fine. First first time Bond finds out that Dent is a bad guy, but I love Felix's line. He's either a bad professor or a poor liar. I think he's a a bad liar and a bad professor and a bad pretty much everything else. Yeah. When we have Bond in the next scene, this is another thing I made a note on. Uh, I Again, something I never noticed until I saw it. But when Bond's driving his car, I think this is when he's driving his car to Miss Tarot's house. Miss Tarot, we didn't really introduce is the assistant to Professor Dent or whatever. And I guess the second Bond girl officially. When he's driving, did you guys notice how much his car is swerving? Yes. It was- looks like he's driving <laughs> drunk. Well, that's the way, like, I don't, like, I... Is this a thing with old movies? Drive in front of a green screen, and do people in America just swerve left, right, left, right, left, right when they're driving their wheels? Because the amount of, like, even, like, what you're saying about swerving, but just the fact that he's moving the wheel so much when he's driving in a straight <laughs> line. Like, what the hell? I can just picture... They're, they're filming this behind the camera, like, on the, the truck that's in front of the car filming this. Terrence Young's, like... On the left side, Sean and Sean's like, did you say right? It's left, left, <laughs> left. <laughs> he just couldn't get his directions right, which is why he's swerving. And I just want to quickly mention the direction that James Bond gets to get to a house. It's like, take a left here, take a right there. Now then you see this, don't go that way, turn left. Then you go, I'm just expecting him to do like a Bugs Bunny yeah, when he gets pack. to a house. Oh, I should have taken that left at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the car chase uh, again no drama on my own um, like they try but it's all going laughing most of the time during then you know, I actually like the, the car chase for this one again we're seeing a lot of uh, when it's on the close ups the, the film's obviously being sped up a little bit but uh, I mean we hadn't seen this in any of the Bond movies um it has a def- it definitely has a good finish to it. I mean, it was a real stunt. It wasn't all blue screen, so that's something. 
And that's what's, what James Bond movies were so well known for, weren't they? Especially in their original days, was the fact that they did their own stunts. Which mm. is when we get to Die Another Day and the surfing oh. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. But, like, yeah, it was... And it was the way it ended with the car and the explosion and all that sort of stuff. It was great because we, we, the, the green screen, blue screen was terrible, but to get a car sort of exploding. I love that as soon as the car falls off the cliff, Explosion straight away. Like, it hasn't even <laughs> crashed into anything. It would be no different to the road that they drew, drove up, and it just explodes as soon as it falls down the cliff. Very petrol-filled cars, those Jamaican ones. Um. And the construction work. What, what's his line uh, about the funeral? Oh, they're on their way to a funeral. <laughs> they're on their way to a funeral. <laughs> and the guy, the construction worker, doesn't give a shit. Like, can you imagine if there's a construction <laughs> yeah. worker, like, dro- like, oh, there's two cars coming towards me. You've just seen a car go down. Clearly, the people in the car are burnt to death, a pretty horrific death. And he's just going, oh, this guy's just gone on to a funeral. Oh, okay, then. <laughs> I wish I wish the construction worker just went, no English. <laughs> Maybe. <I saw> nothing. <laughs> now, do we count this as kills? Yes. Well, well I, I counted it as three because I thought it was the three blind. Marks. I well, didn't I'm even gonna... count it as one because I was questioning whether or not it was just driver error. No, I'm going to agree with Noah, and I didn't. <laughs> I didn't put together the three blind mice though until you said that, Noah. But like I said, when I was watching this earlier. With my wife, Jamie, she said, well, I asked her, how many people did you see in the car? Because I knew this was coming. And she said, I see three people. And I stopped, and there are moments where you could see three people in the car. So I would assume this is the three blind mice. Bond could but have just easily passed it up. not make it so... Weird they yeah, didn't make it not, so obvious. Like, why did they not ter- say that the three blind mice are now dead? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, why Why didn't Bond, like... How did he know this construction worker wasn't going to report it or whatever? <laughs> yes. He could have just said it's like... What happened to them? It's like, they were blind and they were driving. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> or, or he calls up the funeral home and he said, uh, were they on their way to a funeral? <laughs> <laughs> you lied to me! <laughs> <laughs> and of course, so Miss Tara. I will count this no, as three, so if you guys want to agree. I count. Sorry. Look, I if I'm if I'm overruled, I'm happy to take it. But I, I sort of I put a bit of a question mark to it because I was like, well, it wasn't technically at the hands of James Bond, but you could argue it was. So I'm happy to include it. All right. And yeah, he shows up at Miss Tarot's house, and she's not expecting him because, again, <laughs> as usual, Bond's one step ahead of all of these uh, inept henchmen and henchwomen. Uh, she gave him the directions knowing that the three blind mice were assuming were going to follow him. So when he shows up, she's wrapped in a towel and surprised to see him. I love when he puts the clothes on her. Uh, she says, he says, you die of pneumonia. <laughs> like, <laughs> in, in Jamaica? The middle, <laughs> in the middle of Jamaica, <laughs> the summer. <laughs> I reckon if you went to a hospital in Jamaica and said, I've got pneumonia, they'd be like, oh, we need to look that up. What's that? <laughs> yeah, but other... They're not too much in the Miss Tarot scene other than taking away, and he puts underneath the mango tree, she's got vinyl of it at her house. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is such a popular song. I mean, <laughs> The only song. <laughs> well, of course Bond's going to be singing it later on, because it's the only thing he's heard for six days. <laughs> I'm surprised when she comes out of the water, he's not like, oh, not this fucking song again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know if there's been as much to add on Miss Tarot, but the, the big talking point here is Dent. 
Oh, we'll get to that. But I just like the fact that Bond gets lucky twice here. Like, yeah. Again, just showing that he's having fun with these people that he knows are about to die. I mean, obviously, he doesn't kill Miss Tarot, but he's having fun with her. Even the moment where, you know, she's saying, like, oh, we should go out because they're going to try to get to Bond again. And he knows that this is what they're planning. So he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, I don't want to stay in or whatever. Let's go out. And then she's like insisting, he's like, oh, well, forget it. Where's your phone? Like, he's just ready to call already. <laughs> and then when she's like, um, uh, uh, well, that explains it. When he, when he says, uh, oh, I'm calling a taxi. My car went so That wouldn't explain it. He grabs her basically by the throat. He's like, doesn't explain what? Like, laughing. <laughs> like, he's totally messing with her this whole scene. And then he still takes her a second time, just for the fun of it. And I also realized <laughs> that James Bond in this entire movie is only, like, well, actually, what am I talking about? The entire movie series thinks with his dick, his stomach, and wants to drink alcohol. Like, he's, he's, I'm surprised he's alive. We'll get to this. He smokes so much. The amount of alcohol in this movie, and every scene, he's just, like, laying in bed. He's just like, I'm hungry. <laughs> like, all, all we needed Sean Connery to do was, like, make me a sandwich. Mmm, <laughs> spider. Yummy. But he says, he even says to her, I don't want you to get dishpan hands. <laughs> Yo, what is dishpan hands? Have you guys ever heard that before? No. That's a Jamaican band. <laughs> Byron Lee and the dishpan hands. <laughs> Nicky Van Der Zyl and the dishpan hands. I love dance shooting at the mattress when he comes in like ah the old mattress tree but i like i like the whole setup there with bond how he gets the like the, you know puts his jacket on the on the couch and he gets the glasses and you know makes it look like they've had a passionate romp around the house and yeah just shoves the pillows in the the bed again it reminds me of ferris bueller's day off i'm just expecting them to have like the door opening <laughs> creeping the snout effect of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this again is another one of those scenes where it's like, I, there's certain scenes in the old Bond movies, you watch the new ones and you don't get this as much, but one scene is a scene that you can never get sick of, and this is another one of those scenes that you can never get sick of, I mean, the the setup for it, you know what Bond's about to do, and then he sits there and he's playing solitaire in the yes. dark, underneath the mango trees, on the radio, and... <laughs> You know, Professor Dent comes in, and then, the, the again, the best thing about this is where he's got Dent basically cornered, and Bond keeps looking away. And when the first time you guys saw this, were you thinking Dent's about to get the gun, Bond's, you know, distracted or something? Yeah, I love when he's uh, getting the gun. It's the classic villain telling the plan, except for he's like, oh, I might as well tell you, because you Jumping in the dramatic yeah. of But it's just so gun. obvious the way he says it. Oh, well, you're not going to live, so I might as well tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so professor Dent, well, not, not, not a real professor, way. not a real actor. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and this his, is the original Blofeld. His death Blofeld. is very Mary-like The original Blofeld. Well. <laughs> very Mary-like, yeah. <laughs> well, I wrote yep. this down because I, I didn't initially count the um the cast. So I wrote down here fifty six minutes in for the first kill. But um, with Dent's death, I mean, we have to talk about again a classic line for Bond, where you know Dent obviously doesn't realize he's run out of bullets and he's trying to fire, and Bond's just calm the whole time. He goes, "That's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six. And then he just pulls cold hearted, pulls the trigger. But again, I rewatch this and I wonder. Like, Bond's smart enough to know everything about this Smith & Wesson gun, but he didn't realize the Beretta was for women. <laughs> Colin, don't ruin the scene. Well, I, I also read that he was initially meant to shoot him six times in the back, but they edited it out because they thought it was too callous. Oh, that would have been that, cool. I do think Terence Young is the closest to the books. Um, this scene is very book-bond. Book-bond. Yeah. 
Well, I'll comment on that because I read Doctor No. I don't know. I'd probably seen at least half of the Bond books, and I'd read a couple of the Bond books already. And the Bond books I'd read were like Moonraker, obviously, which has nothing to do with the movie. Diamonds Are Forever, loosely based on the movie. Casino Royale, which didn't have a movie. And then I read Doctor No, I believe, next. And I was really surprised, having read the other ones, how close this entire book is to the movie. Uh, the only thing that's really different is Bond's personality is different. You know, some of the wisecracks and the sophistication. Bond was less sophisticated in the books. And it was actually Terrence Young, the director himself, that put that part of his own personality into James Bond which is why they even say on the, uh, the commentaries or the documentaries that James Bond was one-third Ian Fleming, one-third Sean Connery, and one-third Terrence Young. One-third Nicky Vandersil. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, <laughs> I forgot about that. The, the bit that I found fascinating about the whole sort of the Bond, you know, what you're saying, like suaveness and all that, is that, I mean, Ian Fleming didn't even want Sean Connery to be James Bond because, you know, there were so many elements about him that he didn't think because, you know, Bond's meant to be sophisticated in English and high society, whereas Sean Connery's Scottish and working class and, you know, but... Fleming travelled to the future and saw, what's that, uh, sci-fi film? Zardoz! <laughs> 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 You saw the future. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, this is something that no doubt we'll talk about throughout these Sean Connery era ones. And it's easy to say now, oh, you can't imagine James Bond being anyone else but Sean Connery in those early ones. But um, it's it's just really interesting when you hear things that, like, you know, the creator of this character didn't want the person who is arguably the most iconic James Bond in the history of cinema um, to not actually play. I mean, this was what this was the role that made Sean Connery. Am I correct in saying that? I mean, I know he was in movies before yeah. James Bond, yeah. but obviously but the this movies is... he made prior to this were movies that were closer to his own personality. He's more of like a country guy and um, not very sophisticated and kind of tough and rough and all that. So uh, for him to for anybody who even did know Sean Connery's career, I mean, it's understandable that Ian Fleming wouldn't want him because it would have been a stretch to see Sean Connery do something like this. And it's interesting to think that because uh, we all just picture Sean Connery as this sophisticated, you know, who he is. Like, I, I don't think we, any of us, maybe from the yeah, sci-fi movie there, Colin, but, like, it's 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 very hard to think of Sean Connery as anything but a sophisticated person like that. And mm. I've had friends, like, I, <laughs> I remember in school I had um, this friend, she was a girl, and she was obsessed with Sean Connery, and she one time said something like, oh, you know, he's so hot. And I'm like, he's old enough to be your grandfather. And she's like, if he was my grandfather, incest wouldn't be a problem. Oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is, I don't know what it is about the guy, because again, it's hard for us to comment, but he was named Sexiest Man Alive by People Magazine when he was like in his late 50s, early 60s, already bald and gray, and mm -hmm. like, that that was like well after James Bond. Um, we should really memorialize Dent. Um, I think he has the great look of a henchman, but he's so oh, incompetent in every single thing that he does. <laughs> I would ultimately say a net positive of Dent as a henchman, but he's just so useless. And is he really a professor? Like, how did he come to work with <laughs> No, Was that ever clarified? Like, he's just there. Yeah, and he thinks that he could pull one over on Bond by saying, like, oh, you know, the, the samples were nothing. I threw them away. Like, did he not think that Bond might check this? I mean, 
Well, I like the fact that the key giveaway is when they're back in that, you know, super British meeting that you're talking about. Noah already was like, oh, I like the look of his assistant. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did you know what his assistant looked like? <laughs> yeah. Well, not to dwell on every scene. Uh, the next one has the first mention of the dragon from Quarrel. I don't know if we really want to talk about that. There's no jump. dragons. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as dragons. <laughs> And I'm thinking, yeah, they they do mention it. He's two hours late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when well, he had he put... things to do. But but he, how much longer would he have waited for know. Dent to show up? At what point was he going to be like, you know what, like, they got to go. I mean, I can't keep them waiting forever. <laughs> Crab key awaits. Like, forget Dent. Gets a text message. I Where were you? Un- one thing I didn't understand is why didn't Felix come? Why did they have to have one person? Why couldn't he come with them? Why? That was never yeah. a big concern for me. Well, Felix was going to bring in the Marines or whatever later, so... It's always up to the Americans to have that, you know, big grand entrance at the end, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Coming two days late. Once two hours late. <laughs> Felix was like, how, long, how late? Well, how, how late did the Americans get into World War Two, people? Come on, there's a trend here. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is in the middle of the night, and then they, why didn't they just go really early in the morning and have some sleep in a comfortable bed? Yeah. Well, because he had to sleep on the beach. Like, if he didn't sleep on the beach, then we wouldn't have gotten Ursula. But why? <laughs> I don't know. Ask Terence. <laughs> well, was that's it a good... cover of darkness, maybe? Like, <laughs> it was easier for them to sneak in? That's a good point, though, Then Ursula. One hour and two minutes, I wrote down. Oh, and how, like, not just in James Bond, but this is one of the most iconic moments in cinema history. Yeah, well, I would argue the shot of her coming out of the water has probably been played more, more pictures of it, and is probably more well known than any shot of any James Bond in any James Bond movie ever. Mm-hmm. Don't agree. you just love that one of the most iconic moments in film history includes underneath the mango tree in, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the sea? But the thing that's also so amazing about it is that this is 1962. We look at that now and, oh, yeah, it's just a woman in a bikini. Who gives a shit? 1962, a woman in a bikini coming out of the water like that. That's not exactly something that was quite common in that period like of history. knife out. Yes, and she was meant to be nude. In the book, she was nude, I believe. Yeah, Would that's right. Yeah, she was, um, and she, but she still had the knife, though. <laughs> well, that's she not a knife. knife. <laughs> well, as as iconic as that moment is, and as even people who have probably never seen James Bond have seen that clip, there's obviously a very good reason why that clip ends there, because right after that iconic moment of her coming out of the water ends... We have Sean Connery singing underneath the mango tree. <laughs> Sean Connery's Broadway tree. debut. <laughs> now, now, how many of the Bond actors have sung in movies? We've got Pierce. We've got Sean. Has uh, George Lazenby been in any musicals that we I'm don't sure know he's about? Done a toy. <laughs> George well, Lazenby's done some dinner musical theater. Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig. I mean, <laughs> Nicky Vanderzel. <laughs> But we get the, the so I, this, the, I'm just wondering, is it Sean singing or did Nikki do Sean? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Underneath It can't be him, can it? It's not him, Sean. Oh, I think well, it, it sounded sounds like, like him. It, yeah. it could be him, but it is funny that uh, Nikki Vanderzil, we should say, does the voice of Honey Rider. So Ursula Andress doesn't even do the voice, 
And you can understand why when you see the clips of her. I'm Ursula Andress. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> People in Face Teen from The Simpsons. But I don't know, like the singing voice isn't even Nikki Fantasy. I know. Yeah, Diana Coupland. Yeah, can Nikki not sing? <laughs> Is this like this is so interesting? The fact that you've got this, you know, gorgeous actress who doesn't even get to—you don't get to hear her voice—and then there's two different voices used for her in this movie. Like it's just, yeah. it's strange. But it's not in the book. It's Honey Honey Child rather or Honey Child, yeah. rather. Um, so they didn't even use her full name. Well, I mean, Honey Rider definitely has a better ring to it. <laughs> don't don't you love the um. Rider, no, honey I'm rider. just looking. Oh, that is the yeah. best. Oh, that may be, I agree, one of the best lines ever for James <laughs> Bond. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm looking for seashells. What are you doing? No, I'm just looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, oh um, uh, we, I didn't get the exchange rate. I wrote in the note to get it. $50 for a shell in Miami. How much is that? Yeah. I didn't get it. I was meant to get the What, is it 1962 box. exchange rate or the current exchange rate? Yeah, so, well, how much was $50 back then for one of those shells? It would have oh. been a lot more. Well, let's let's find out. And, Colin, I'll hand over to you again. I'll, I'll be the Google man in the background. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking this up right now. I didn't actually realize there are websites for historical conversions. Yeah, you can find you can get it to the exact date. So let's just assume it was somewhere around the end of November in 1962. <laughs> that, that you know when people are getting pneumonia in Jamaica. Yeah. And, uh, fifty dollars would be no, that's euros. I think oh, you're probably uh, on the same website as me right now. I think. Yeah. Well, are you what? What current are you converting this to? Fifty dollars. Fifty dollars now would be a lot. Yeah, for one shell. Um, oh, three hundred and eighty-one dollars and twenty cents. Is that US? Yeah, you fifty dollars US from nineteen sixty-two would be three hundred eighty-one dollars and twenty cents US today. That's pretty. That's a bit of money. I, from Miami. I, I don't know. I'd risk you know, losing all my hair and getting radiation sickness just for the 50 bucks, to be honest. <laughs> I love it when the boat shows up and there's Jamaican guys on there, but they sound very American. We're coming yeah. to get you. <laughs> Not only is that American, but again, I have to point out something that I've always noticed about this that always bothers me. The guy speaking into the megaphone, he's like, all right, you're not coming out. We'll come back with the dog. Yeah. He's playing the worst ever. And he's still amplified. Full speed ahead. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, right, you're like, come out, or we, we, we'll be nice. All right, we'll shoot you. And then you're assuming they're still alive by saying we'll come back later. You, mate, you probably just killed them if that's what you're there to do, you idiot. Yeah. We'll get the dogs. I mean, see ya. <laughs> what dogs? We don't have dogs. <laughs> we know that uh, uh, these guys weren't... <laughs> dubbed by Nicky Vanderzil, but there's some amazing guy that can throw his voice like it's a megaphone, whether he's speaking into one or not. Where I just want this guy to speak every <laughs> Did he go back to to the, the underground lair or whatever, and Dr. Noah is like, well, did you kill him? And there's this big amplified, he's like, no, sir! <laughs> but we'll send the dogs out! Oh, that's okay. 
And like how like if they know they're legitimately there at that point in time, why aren't they getting off the boat to chase art? Like what? How lazy are they? Oh, hang on a minute. They're willing to trek through the river later on, risking leeches or whatever else, but step out of the boat and just take a peek over like the sand. They've never got a chance to use the dogs, and they're really excited to try the dogs. We just got these dogs. They're brand new. And not only a doctor knows henchmen's ridiculous. So are his dogs. They can't even smell properly. <laughs> <laughs> he can't even get good. Jamaica's well known for their bad dogs. <laughs> yeah. I just like I the just, idea that they were just waiting to try out those dogs. Like, it, there's an edited scene or there's an unedited scene of this somewhere where the guy's like, it's like, all right, we're coming off the boat now in his echo voice. And then there's another guy like, but couldn't we use the dogs? It's like, it's a waste of time. No, I wanted to try the dogs. <laughs> And surely the dogs were quite nearby because they said, all right, we'll go and get the dogs. And then, like, literally, they hadn't gotten far and the dogs are there and they're on the land. <laughs> but that's the thing, With the like... dogs in another boat just nearby. <laughs> but, like, if they know they're on that beach, they've had to go back, park, get off, get the dogs, go back to where they think they will be trekking to. <laughs> I'm sure it's a fairly big location, so they automatically know they'll only take the one route, the, you know, the secret route, apparently, that they're taking, but they know where that is. So wouldn't, at the time, be prepared show up with your high-speed boat with your dogs, go on the beach at the one time when they're in an easier location to track, and there you go. You've killed them. They could have got off dogs, deep dogs, at that point. <laughs> you know what dogs always have their tongue sticking out the window when they're in a car? They don't even to stick their head out the window. They love boat rides. Take the dogs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Crabtree, home of Jamaican dogs. <laughs> I love my favourite bit then is when they like, um, Hardy Rider's like, oh, I'll go get my boat. And then they uncover it. Look what you've done. It's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> when it's like a shitty Italian, Ben. Yeah. She sounds like some pizzeria Well, Nikki Van is the witness. Why did you shoot my boat? I like um, Bond MacGyvering it up with the snorkels. But, but the, the yeah, thing is, cool. it's like the shittiest boat in the world. <laughs> yeah, and then we see the dragon tracks, and it's clearly um, a, a car tr- uh, track in the mud. <laughs> oh, we should mention Bond gets a kill then, doesn't he, with the snorkeling up? Like, he takes out that guard. And he yeah, says, there's another kill. Uh, why did you have to do that? Because I could, or something like that. Whatever he said. <laughs> what did he say? Like, because I can, or like he said something really evil. Yeah. <laughs> um, some Honey's backstory, which in the book is much more full on and vicious than it is in the movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. With like, one thing I wanted to say was that uh, a lot of people criticize the Bond movies or even the Bond books and say, "Well, the the female characters are just damsels in distress." Like, no, Ian Fleming wrote really complex female characters. He needs to be given more credit for this. And some of that does make its way into the movie. Like Jinx yep. and Die Another Day. Oh. <laughs> but Honey is great. But in the book, yeah, she is an orphan. And she was, like, raped by 10 guys or something. And it's really for long. But, but we get a bit of that, like, in terms of yeah. the whole, oh, he came well, up to my room. Yeah, I wrote, um, how old is Honey supposed to be? Because she's a pretty slow reader when she talks about the encyclopedia. I started with A and I'm up to T. <laughs> T? Well, I, I tell you one thing, if that's all it takes to get an education, like, I wish I hadn't gone to school <laughs> to read encyclopedias. Yeah, but T I, I is to, not even... I have to put something else in this scene that's really good. 
where she's talking about how she kills a guy, and she says that she put a spider in with him. And then, of course, it's a spider, so this is some common thing that happens in the Caribbean. <laughs> and then the reaction that Bond has, where, where Bond just says nothing, and she's like, did I do wrong? And he goes, well, I wouldn't make a habit of it. <laughs> yeah, Bond when, really is afraid of spiders. This, this freaked when, him out. The bunny boiler. When she, when she says, do you have a woman of your own? And he pauses. <laughs> is that a Sylvia Trench reference here? Is he thinking of her then or not? It's like, should I mention her or not? I don't think he wants to say yes. He probably wants to say yes, she's going to kill me with a spider. They need to have a sense of humor. Right, well, we should get to the nighttime scene where the dragon appears. Because, uh, again, I've heard people in the past complaining about, well, they made Quarrel dumb because he was black because he believes in dragons. Like, well, Honey believes in dragons too. I mean,. And not to yeah. mention, this is some even even Felix said this is a local you know folklore or whatever that there was this dragon that was around. Um, you know why they couldn't smell the diesel fumes coming out of the dragon, I don't know. <laughs> but we do get to see the dragon in this scene, which uh, goes right up to Felix's very violent death. Uh, Noah, uh... do you have anything to say on this? Well, firstly, why why have a dragon car? Like, it's the first. What? Bond car. Uh. <laughs> what? Yeah, like Aston Martin DB5 dragon car. Like, Dogs just the... weren't cutting it when it came to keeping people awake. <laughs> They're like, let's come up with a dragon. Why do they have a dragon, dragon boat? Dragon? Yeah, this, yeah, they need to expand their dragon uh, mobile dragon vehicles, helicopter. Things um, that don't hold up. This is the one that doesn't hold up. It, it is a very cool idea, though, to, that there would be this giant dragon but it doesn't really make sense in the movie um like yeah. first of all dr no again this is just showing that the closer you pay attention to the movie how bad dr no's plans are how he can come up with this science experiment that can throw nasa rockets you know 900 <laughs> kilometers away off course but what he can't do is scare people off a beach properly that he's resorting to <laughs> dogs and fake dragons powered by diesel engines. Well, I want to get to where we get to talking about Dr. No, is that it, it's got to be one of the worst, um, like, evil schemes that someone is, Bond's got to stop in the history of James Bond movie. Oh, he's just throwing rockets, of course. Oh, well, okay. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, it's... This... The whole situation where the dragon's coming towards them, this reminded me of the third... I think it's the third Jaws movie where you've got that shark swimming towards the thing, and they're all just screaming, Ah! And it's going so slow, and yet this old time, Bond just says, shooting... At- he could have, like, walked around this dragon, climbed up to it, and shot them in the head. Like, it's coming at them so... And somehow, Quarrel still dies. Yeah, well, not to mention, Bond is shooting out the headlights on this thing what, so they won't spot him. Those are like 40-watt bulbs. What are they going to see with that? I remember being very upset by this quarrel bit. Oh, quarrel. Especially well, later on, knowing that he appeared in several books, and then, of course, they ended up having to write around that later on. But well, yeah, it really ben, does suck for quarrel guy. Ben kind of mentioned it off there that Bond does not care at all about quarrel. <laughs> Like, but in the book, he's actually his friend, and it actually affects him quite a bit because he's appeared in uh, previous books. So, 
I really wish they focused more on that with Quarles there. The, the worst part is the whole time when they're getting like, you know, put your hands up and they're getting the handcuffs on, you hear this burning in the background and you know that's Quarles' body burning slowly to death. Like, there's nothing else burning except Quarles' charcoal remains. Like, I feel so sorry for him because, like... <laughs> it's just this sound of him dying. And Quarrel never wanted to come there in the first place because of the dragon, and everybody <laughs> laughed at him. Felix was like, sure, dragons, Quarrel. Bond's like, no, there's no such thing as dragons. What happens? Quarrel gets eaten by a dragon, okay? The man was right. Like, he didn't and deserve this. This will go on to become a Bondian trope of the ally getting killed about two-thirds into the film. Yes, tip to any future Bond allies, don't be one. As soon as Bond finds a girl, like, his sidekick's screwed. They're dead. He's well, not going to do anything to stop that. Well, death. they're screwed and then they're dead, so... <laughs> True. But it's not it's not all over because we have Quarrel Jr. coming up in about ten films' time or so. So yeah. look forward to that. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> not really the same, but the next no. scene, we're definitely going to have a couple things. We were talking about this a little bit off-air. Uh, I think everybody has probably had the same reaction to this scene, but... When they come in, and we've only had loose mentions about the radioactivity, and Ben kind of mentioned the idea that throwing rockets off course isn't that big. It kind of played into what was really happening with NASA, I guess, at the time. But uh, the idea of radioactivity, again, why is this just so loosely mentioned? Because nobody really goes out on this island, and they have this decontamination chamber for everybody who has set foot outside, and they come in and they have this uh, very elaborate, but probably not very effective cleaning process that yeah. you have to go through. Like, you've been exposed to deadly amounts of radiation. Let's spray you with a little bit of foam soap and brush you with a giant brush. And then <laughs> bombs so still have it. it. Bombs like still have radiation afterwards. On his finger, but they're terrible. Like, you watch them, it's like, let's take a little bit off. The guy who brushes them when they've got their clothes on, brushes them, like, on their chest and a little bit on their back, and they're like, oh, no, they've still got some on them. It must be in their clothes. Well, you fucking think? <laughs> Don't you think they were, like, breathing in, like, the a lot as of well? radioactive particles and stuff? <laughs> and the best bit then is when they're like, we need their clothes, and James Bond is like, do the girl first. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I never realized how inappropriate that was until I, again, I was watching this with my wife. And Bond's like, uh, they're like, all right, take off your clothes. And Bond's like, yeah, that's fine. Just do the girl first. Like, she, she turns to me. She's like, Bond's just trying to see her naked before he has to do anything. Or he's got some penis scene. envy. He's like a bit cold in there. At the I need to warm up in here first. But see that, of course, we've all paused at one time or another. Oh, uh, the, the, the yeah. thing is, it's so, it's it's there. There is a, a second and a half where there's a gap in, like, where the guard is getting, <laughs> don't, don't laugh at what I'm, that not that gap, but, like, the, the guard is, <laughs> the guard is, like, about to put on the, the dressing gown sort of robe thing. And there's uh, just this brief moment, and yeah, I pause it, of course, and according to what I was reading and what you were saying, Noah, in the actual special features, is that um, Ursula Andress said she was wearing like a skin-coloured bodysuit. I swear, and I don't know if it comes down to high-definition TVs now and getting more detail, but I swear, when you look at that bit, there's more to it, and there's more detail in what I'm seeing than a skin-coloured bodysuit. <laughs> It's funny, we don't even have to describe it. Like, we're, we're being very descriptive about the plot. 
It's like, okay, and this is how Coral died, and this is what happened to Honey's <laughs> boat. This is where the bullets were positioned on Honey's boat. But with this, you're basically like, all right, we've all paused the scene. Let's just get on with this. This is what I saw. <laughs> what did you guys think? <laughs> and then um, I wrote down, I'm not sure if you guys wrote it down, after they um, had the coffee and the, the sister Lily and Rose, Dr. No, one hour, 24 minutes into like a one hour yep. and what, 45 minute film. Well, that, that, that was going to be my question and maybe I can bring it now. Is this the least amount of screen time in any Bond film from the main villain? It would have. Uh, it, yeah, I think it might be. But the thing is, is that they talk about him a lot before he appears and when he does appear, he basically only has one very long scene. You don't even see him the second time he appears. It's two scenes he's in the movie, but one of them's so long that it doesn't really occur to you unless you're sitting down and really analyzing it like this. Well, should we talk about that that uh, dinner scene? Because before we do that, I have to I have to bring something else up, and this may be the biggest plot hole that renders the entire movie either pointless or shows Doctor No as even more useless than Professor Dent. <laughs> so when the sisters are talking to Bond, they're like, oh, we weren't sure when to expect you. We thought you might have been in yesterday afternoon. Here, we prepared these clothes for you. We only got your sizes the other day. Dr. Noah's been trying to kill the man for the last three days. But apparently, <laughs> according to these sisters, they've been expecting him to show up and even be getting clothes for him. Why is Dr. Noah trying to kill him if he wants him to come over? And where does he get their sizes from? Does he call up MI6? Excuse me, um, M, uh, could you tell me James Bond and the random girl that we didn't know existed uh, <laughs> until they showed up here that he happened to meet on the way their sizes? How does yeah, he also the- know what Bond drinks? He has a <laughs> martini as well. <laughs> He's got to check like his Twitter profile. They called up one day in the original Boothroyd. They're like, he's like, Universal Exports. They're like, hi, MI6. Can you tell me what Secret Agent James Bond's measurements are? Sure, he's 32 by whatever. Then he hangs up and like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You're fired. <laughs> I'll go and get the dogs. <laughs> but this, this dinner scene is one of the highlights of the movie. I love this scene. I, I like the... I just want to quickly mention, though... Um, before that scene and before they sort of pass out, when um, the sisters are like going, "Oh, we've got some cigarettes. We've got American, British, and Turkish cigarettes. Like, <laughs> just the different times you got a plate." And then Bond is like, "Oh, different types of cigarettes." The and morning, then Bond like, surprise, we... surprise, he's hungry. <laughs> In the morning, we got like it's like we have some coffee here, American, Colombian, and Lithuanian. He's like, "I'll take the Lithuanian." <laughs> Damn coffee, and he smashes it <laughs> on the ground. I love that bit when he realizes he's about to pass out. He throws it on the ground aggressively, <laughs> and then he tries to stand up. He probably landed face first in like broken cup. Should we you wake up with a giant piece of ceramic glass? <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to give some credit to Honey Ryder because she said not to have the breakfast. Like, Damn girl, we need to eat. <laughs> she may only be a tea in the encyclopedia, but she knows not to drink stuff from strangers, and she knows not to go near dragons if people say there's dragons. Bond doesn't know these things. <laughs> and I just also want to point out, Dr. No, the perv, who comes into the room when they're sleeping and he lifts up the sheet. That was my note. Because, again, we're going to jump a little bit ahead here, but he basically tucks Bond into bed with his claws. But when he meets Bond later, he says, you'll have to forgive me. It's a little bit awkward to shake hands with these. But it's not awkward to tuck grown men into bed. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, Doctor No. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if when Dent first showed up, there was a big bed in that big empty room rather than a chair, and No comes in and just tucks it. <laughs> no, no, Dent. <laughs> you have him on the head. for the last time, Dent. <laughs> but yes, this this dinner scene. Oh, this scene is fantastic, and again, it's probably one of the if you were to take. Every Bond movie, I would argue this one scene may be almost the longest scene up there with the train scene in uh, From Russia With Love as, like, the longest scene. But it doesn't get boring, and it's basically just two guys talking the entire time. And he lays out the entire plan yeah. of what they're doing and Spectre. This is the beginning of the villain lying, laying out the plan, which not mm-hmm. even for Bond, but for a lot of films in the future, is like that will become a trope. But yeah, you mentioned it there. He goes, I work for Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. <laughs> That's my favorite bit. And I love, I love, I just, I love what it stands for. Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Like, I love how revenge <laughs> is in the title. Like, you know, oh, we're not evil, but you've got terrorism, well, well, revenge, and extortion in your name. <laughs> Bond comments on that when Dr. No tries to recruit him into yeah. Spectre. He says, I'll, I'll work for the Revenge Department. <laughs> Maybe I could be in the Revenge Department, <laughs> Dr. But, no. <laughs> but it's just such like a, you know, who comes up with that, like these evil guys around a table? Well, we're all about revenge, guys, so we should probably put that in. Oh, that's a good idea, Larry. We'll put that in the title. <laughs> Extortion, we could do that too. Just <laughs> <laughs> so imagine they're like, what's number one on the evil itinerary of the day? <laughs> well, we have extortion. Can we work that into our evil name? So this, 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 this is what's wrong with ISIS. Like, there's no revenge and terrorism in their names. They're trying to be all proper. Like, oh, we're Islamic State. No, just say what you are, guys. You you got revenge in plans and put R in your name. Is this is this Doctor No's fault in, in in the making? We see that everyone he meets, he just wants to recruit to speak. Is that why he has so u- many useless people? Because everyone he meets, he joined us. Oh, Doctor exactly. No, what do you do? Oh, well, I want to recruit you, random person. <laughs> He's just a recruiter. But yeah, Byron Lee of the Dragonairs will be his new number two by the end of this. Um, we need to mention that. It is pretty cool that they do teasers with this Spectre thing and it won't actually play a part until next year. Yeah, again, I mean, Broccoli and Saltzman had this idea early on and movie series in these days were things where if you have a successful movie, you make kind of a generic sequel. And I know Star Wars is often credited with being like the first movie franchise that really had a plan start to finish and it was following the story, but... You could make the argument that James Bond did it, obviously, in a much more subtle way, because they put characters in there like they intended to have Sylvia Trench be a recurring character and introducing, you know, the Boothroyd and Moneypenny. But Spectre is mentioned, and they knew they weren't going to get to Spectre for a couple of movies. So they set this up, and that's something that Bond movies aren't given credit for, is that this kind of started the whole idea of serializing a movie franchise. Yeah, I, I just love that he... Is he working for them or working with them? Like, is he? They kind of set well, it up, but it's not. They mention in From Russia with Love, our associate or something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I love that. Doctor No. But he, I also wrote down that, that both he says that both the Americans and the East rejected him. Well, I don't know. Maybe because he 
created a, a acronym. Just tried to recruit everyone he met. And like, no, <laughs> did did he go out. to America in the East and say, oh, this is the organization I've formed? What does it stand for? Oh, Special Executive for Counterintelligence, <laughs> Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Oh, we might reject that idea. Thanks, though. Spectre? <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, the dinner scene's really good. There's a lot of uh, good character stuff. This is basically all there is to Dr. No. Uh, but following this, dinner. we have Bond's, Bond's escape. Well, not dinner, but... The, the... <laughs> That's all he does. Doc come to Dr. No's restaurant. <laughs> Recruitment. First of all, the idea of an underground lair, like, that's fantastic, especially with the giant fish that you see. That's great. Um, yeah. This Love elaborate that. prison that Bond escapes from, kind of a toss-up, we'll get into this later, but as far as the action scenes in this, I think this is the one that really works. Not nearly oh. as brutal as the book. Like, this scene, again, if we're going to yeah. talk about the book, Bond was vomiting at the end of this escape in the book. Uh, in this still, I mean, so many great things that happen here. Why does the prison grate electrocute him? Well, I was wondering why, like, what... I, I know, obviously, compared to the book, there's obviously more to it in terms of they want him to go through this elaborate trap, but from the movie perspective, just watching it, it's like, he goes up, gets electrocuted, oh, I'm fine, oh, it's okay, it's open now, off you pop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that still dangling when he pushes past it too mm. and what about what it's connected to i mean electricity you know there's electrical current even though he pushed the grating out of the way shouldn't whatever the grating was attached to still shock bond yes it should how about the metal duct the pipe that scene is really connected good, to it i like the pipes and the water rushing through it. and the scalding hot metal mm-hmm. <laughs> But with the, with the pipes, again, I noticed this past time. Again, it's always cool. When you just watch this movie and you're just trying to enjoy it, your reactions are different. When you're looking for stuff to talk about and looking for new things, I wonder, like, where is this water coming from? <laughs> Did somebody just flush, like, a real <laughs> giant toilet somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive yeah. turd coming <laughs> down. <laughs> it has nothing to do with other Danger. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that in the book he has to battle a giant squid at the end of this, this <laughs> tunnel. Is that true? I think there, there was the squid where he was rescuing honey and they just bumped that scene up. I think that might be it. Maybe. I, I just, from what I was reading in the trivia, they said, maybe I read it wrong, I think it said at the end of the little maze that he battled a giant squid. I'm disappointed, no matter what, that there was no giant squid battle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, James Bond might have jumped the shark, um, quite literally, in that first movie. Jumped the squid, but... <laughs> Would there have been a second part if Bond had to battle a giant squid? And the special features in 1962 with giant squids, I couldn't imagine, would have been very good. Yeah. From Russia with calamari. (laughs) (laughs) After Bond does escape, um, he he gets his next kill, where he steal his radiation suit. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy, poor random guy, naked and dead somewhere. I just have to say, because this ties in the next scene, when Bond goes into, I guess, their control room, uh, where everything there has a label. It's like, <laughs> yeah. coat hanger, coaster for your cup. <laughs> Check personal is- radiation here. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Bond walk past somewhere in the hallway where they actually had, like, a couple of racks on the wall or a couple of hangers, and it said, spare radiation suit. So Bond didn't have to kill a man senselessly? <laughs> they even had a label above Dr. No, head villain. <laughs> 
I love that Bond just presses a button, though, and that pretty much ends the film. Yes, and I love how you've got this big thing that says danger level. <laughs> <laughs> That's a NASA trait. They've got a thing on their, like, thing at their control centre when, a, like, a spaceship's about to die. Danger level! As much- There's, like, a revenge meter somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not putting enough revenge up. The terrorism levels are too high. Well... This is something else that, that's really funny to me is that they have the labels everywhere, which Bond already looks kind of dumb when he gets called out for just standing there doing nothing. Because you have to wonder, that he, this guy, he's supposed to be Chang, that Dr. No's talking to, is like, Chang, what are you doing, you idiot? Get over there. <laughs> but how much dumber does he look when Bond should just be reading the things on the wall? It's like, Chang, stand here. So he just looks that much dumber for just wandering around aimlessly holding a clipboard. <laughs> and Bondy's like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> as, goofy, yeah, sorry. as goofy as it is, this whole entire sequence is pretty cool. And the fight. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I have to quickly backtrack. I love the fact when Bond's in that vent and the water goes past him, he has the time to brush his hair and <laughs> slick it back. I just wanted to realize, I'm just looking at my notes. I just wanted to quickly read with- that. No is really good, but it is too short. It's Doctor No. Yeah, it's because yeah. basically, as you said, though, he presses like one thing, duh, 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 danger. The whole thing's about to blow up. Then all of a sudden, Doctor No's like, "Oh fuck!" Punch, 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 falls into the reactor, dead. What, <laughs> I love all the people running that, around. Yes. Yeah. What's even funnier is there's a guy who tries to stop Bond very early on in this, where he's like, "Hey, don't do that!" And Bond just sort of shoves him out of the way. Like, shouldn't yeah. this guy have been a little more aggressive? You're about to kill us all. <laughs> but Bond just like, get out of here. I'm trying to turn this danger level up. <laughs> oh, no, the danger level's too high. That's not good. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I do like the idea that Bond drowns two men in this giant pool of scalding hot water. Like, we get some two very cool deaths here at the end. Revenge for Claw. <laughs> 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 Maybe. Uh, I, th- th- and then uh, I'll talk about Honey uh, tied up in the. Oh, the, yeah. I was yeah. going to. Yeah. And then where's, where's the girl I came in with? And that person's like, I don't know, punch. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down too. I just felt like Bond sometimes is just such a jerk because half the people working there probably don't even realize that they're in their revenge business. They're just like. They're just these poor Jamaicans. It's like, hey, I got a job for you. Come here. You can hold the clipboard, you know, wander around aimlessly. <laughs> but he's like, where's the girl I came with? I don't know. I know. This guy genuinely doesn't know. So what does Bond do? He just punches him in the face. <laughs> but then when he goes to the next woman, he's like, where's the girl I came in with? And she gives him the answer. Like, if she didn't give me the answer, would Quarrel pop up from my eyes? Like, you want me to break her arm? <laughs> <laughs> but what was that thing Honey was eating? Like, what's the purpose of that? <laughs> Well, I was. Was she in the book? Was she attacked by crabs or something? Was this what we were alluding to before? Because I was reading. Well, not not like not from James Bond or anything like that. But like, I, I read a thing there that she was tied up and being attacked by crabs and other creatures. There was, yeah, there was the supposed to be a scene with uh, squid or crabs or something like that, which is why she was tied up, and it was going to be the final action scene. And I think it was. It was either they just didn't have time to finish filming the scene, or that they couldn't get the effects to work right, so they abandoned it. So now she's just tied up. Maybe that's where the the water that Bond got flushed with would eventually end up. You know, about five minutes later, back in Doctor No's Fifty Shades room, <laughs> the, um, the the outside of the base clearly like this model in like a, a bathtub or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Bond just starts throwing other people. Like these people are all about to die, and Bond doesn't care. 
So he's just tossing people <laughs> in the water, punching more guys in the face. We can't really count these as kills, but I mean, let's no, be I'm... honest. Every single person there died, as should a Bond when you saw the size of the explosion two seconds after he pushes off from the base. I love that the people are on the boat and he knocks them off <laughs> the boat. <laughs> the best thing is when he... <laughs> Yes, and he's stuck, and then the second guy who's just doing doggy paddle, like, less than a meter <laughs> away from the he could literally reach out and, like, tip the boat over, or try and fight back, but he's just content doing doggy paddle and waiting for Bond but to drive off. It's a cool scene, everyone running around, jumping off, no one knows what to do. And and the yeah. star of the movie, played by Chris Blackwell, henchman jumping off dock into water. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, best role in the movie. Oh, by <laughs> Mickey. <laughs> if if people go to IMDb, go to Doctor No, and then in the uh, full cast listed alphabetically, there is Chris Blackwell, henchman jumping off dock into water, uncredited. <laughs> and then and then just on cue, you have Felix showing up one day late. <laughs> well, no, but let's 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 backtrack just a little bit here, okay? So Dr. No, as great of a scientist as he is, the entire area, including the rocks, are riddled with radiation. Bond and everybody who's outside has to go through a decontamination process just for being outside of this facility. Now this nuclear reactor explodes from the inside <laughs> out. How much radiation is in that area, and why is Bond not dead in seconds yeah. of this explosion? <laughs> and why not three movies into this, is he not, like, vomiting his guts out, like the three-eyed exactly. fish from The Simpsons? <laughs> like, we've seen what's happened in Japan recently when their nuclear reactor just had, like, a little crack in it, and Chernobyl, like... <laughs> this is where the misplot was, because in uh, the Dr. No book, Dr. No was throwing missiles off course, I think, so he was redirecting missiles, and here they changed it to uh, NASA rockets or whatever. Maybe it was because not fully understanding, but you would think coming off of Hiroshima that there would be a little bit more of a radiation scare. I mean, this is the Cold War. So why is all this radiation not a worry to anybody? There's the real plot they could have used. Well, I'm not sure how far Kaki is from Jamaica, but wouldn't this be like the end of Jamaica? Yeah, well, exactly. No wonder wonder it took to live and let die for him to come back again. They were still (laughs) clearing it up. I, I, I mean, apparently it's close enough to Miami for a honey to paddle in. <laughs> but I think, like, the whole plot, the evil plan of it all, like, what if James Bond was, like, anti-space program and he didn't give a shit about the astronauts? Then, like, would he just not have bothered to like... save them? <laughs> well, Bond goes just goes up to Cape Canaveral and just punches astronauts in the face <laughs> just because... Where's the girl? <laughs> Are you an astronaut? Maybe, but maybe. <laughs> but yeah, then we get the boat. We get the the famous boat scene, which again, my Austin Powers tie back in just reminds. I think it was a deleted scene in one of the Austin Powers when we were in a boat, and they're like, "Oh, how do we get in this boat?" All my movies end this way, baby. I mean, this again is a classic Bond ending. Again, how many staples of the series series start with Doctor No? And unlike a lot of movies nowadays, you see like the hangover movies are heavily criticized because they just do the same thing over and over again. They really did intend for these things to become staples. And I think they always meant for the Bond movies to end like this, where he's being rescued. But he's like, oh, I'll be rescued later, you know, and then he just <laughs> tosses away the rope and goes at it with honey one more time. Well, that's the whole bit that I don't get is that he's all like, 
Toss me the robe. Toss me the, toss me the robe. He ties it up and then he's like, ah, fuck it. I'll just do her instead. <laughs> Let's the rope slip. And like, where's, how long later are they rescued? I mean, they've just been blown up near a massive radiation building. They're probably getting like radiation poisoning as they have sex. Yeah. And like, I mean, it's not like they had mobile phones back in those days. So are they just like, ah, oh, we'll come back in a few hours. They'll still be doing it. And where's the satellite like tracking systems for them to find the boat? Yeah. And, why is Felix needing a megaphone? Does he not know how to throw his <laughs> megaphone voice like the guys on Doctor No's <laughs> Island? We'll come back with the dogs. <laughs> Full speed ahead. <laughs> um, that, that's the end, but like obviously uh, on the title screen, the end. But can we talk generally um, on Doctor No? Honey, just thoughts on them in general. Uh, well, I think Doctor No again. It's amazing how much development they gave his character by only having the one real scene. I mean, his second scene, as I said, he's just sort of shouting out gibberish, technical gibberish, and, you know, danger level at 300 or whatever. But you get his entire backstory, uh, you get his entire purpose, and he manages. We should mention the actor, Joseph Wiseman, I just found out today, Canadian one of the two Canadians in this movie, along with Lois Maxwell, <laughs> who plays, uh, <laughs> plays uh, Money Penny. So, uh, Canadian actor playing a German-slash-Chinese uh, <laughs> evil mastermind. He does a good job at selling this character. When you really think about it, this should be more absurd, as we've been kind of laughing at how bad Dr. No is as a villain. But the actor played him so well, and the character was set up really well. Honey, uh, I think that... She definitely was better in the book when people do make comments about, you know, the, oh, the female characters in Bond are just sort of all the same and, you know, just treated as objects. I always give Honey as an example because in the book she was such a strong character and they made sure to include it. I would say that Honey still has the most complex background and backstory and the most backstory we get of any character until at least Domino and Thunderball. So I think that uh, with both characters, they did a good job introducing them, especially with how little screen time they had. These are two very iconic characters still. I think everybody knows them, and I think that, I mean, the movie is called Dr. No, um, and even though we, I think, see in the least amount of time Dr. out of any villain... <laughs> Dr. Maybe. It's actually funny. <laughs> Go to um, IMDb and look at the translated titles in other countries. I always find them hilarious. But... Um, yeah, and it it sets up so much in terms of what James Bond is about, like this over-the-top villain who has his grand plan and, you know, goes into all the details with Bond over a nice dinner, and then, you know, we have this big, huge set piece at the end. And, and yeah, Honey, right, I mean, I, I have not read the books. So I probably should. But, um, it, look, it just gets sold so much with just that scene coming out of the water. I, I feel that, I think, Colin, you said it before, that even if you've never seen James Bond, you've seen that scene so many times. So people who aren't fans of James Bond know, feel as though they know this Bond girl. And I don't know, particularly in modern James Bond series, if you remember too many of the James Bond girls anymore. And I think everybody at least knows or has at least seen who Honey Ryder and Ursula Andress is and also Nikki Vanderzeel. <laughs> I think Dr. No is played really well and it's great. He's just not shown enough. That's my biggest problem. Um, and he's pretty incompetent for being such a great scientist. But I do think overall he is good villain, and Honey. Um, she's not my favourite, but she's definitely up there. It's cliched, but she is awesome. So. Mr. Kiss, 
Do we have a final count for the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang count of... Uh... Yeah, mine's going to be vastly different, I feel. Noah, what's yours? Um, I've got Bang 9, Kiss 3. Okay, so your 3 for Kiss are... Um, uh, Sylvia, Taro, and Honey. Yeah, I... Well, I did four different counts, so I did... Kiss, fucks, uh, Bond, James Bonds, and Martinis. Um, kills, I got five, but again, that's obviously not counting the three dead mice in a grave. <laughs> um, so I would change that to eight. Um, kisses slash roots, whatever. Um, I got three as well. I nearly made it four just because he did... Um, what's the name? Twice, but if we're <laughs> considering <laughs> considering, we're just con- counting them as individuals, not how many times I had sex. Then I've got three. Uh, obviously, one Bond, James Bond, and I got two martinis. Uh, well, I had the two martinis. Um, I got I three. Count- oh, what were your three? Um... Or are you just making this up now to be <laughs> difficult? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the debate later. Uh, the the kiss kiss count obviously uh, Sylvia and Honey, but I did count Miss Tarot twice only because. Yeah, there are other times where Bond will have the same woman twice in one movie, but not in two back-to-back scenes. So I mm. thought he deserved some credit for that. Uh, and I did uh, the same we'll thing, nine counts. For... What's that? We'll make that four. four. Well, I had I had nine for his kills, too. Uh, yeah, because I, I the spider and three in the car. All right, so just to confirm, we'll come up with what an absolute tally here that we make, uh, you know, double or seven official, so that by the time we get to Spectre or um, uh, what do you call it, Skyfall, we kind of have a, a podcast count rather than an individual count. So I'm guessing we will conclude with nine kills. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go over that, that's the spider, three in the car, Professor Dent, the guard that he throws in the water, the guy he steals the suit from, uh, the guy he throws into the reactor, and Dr. No. Uh, so, Martinis, are we going with two of them? What's the third one, Noah? I don't know what third one. Well, it's one. been a week since I've watched it, so I can't quite recall, so we'll go with two. <laughs> All right, two. <laughs> so, in terms of the kisses, uh, are we going with three or four? Well, I would say just because we're going to be doing further podcasts and there will be some more double appearances i don't think we could always count that we should count the people so that would be three i would think and just the solitary bond james bond and five underneath the mango tree appearance (laughs) (laughs) there's more almost as many underneath the mango trees as individual kill attempts by bond (laughs) (laughs) and uh underneath the mango tree will not return Um, one thing i thought we could do it will though hold on we forgot there will be a future movie and if you don't know what it is, you're going to have to tune into every podcast until we discuss <laughs> the return of Underneath the Mango Tree. Um, one thing I thought we could do is maybe a Hall of Fame of scenes. So pick two or three scenes from each movie that should go into the Bond Hall of Fame. I like yeah, that. I like that idea. So uh, I think the introduction. Oh, of course. You can't have anything not, else. Not the theme introduction. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's I, I, rivals. <laughs> The Bond James Bond introduction. And Honey Coming Out of the Water. Yep. I would say Smith and Wesson and New So how many are we choosing? Two or three? Okay. Are we going with just the most iconic scenes? The yeah. ones that stand the test of time or our personal favourites? Well, all, all, all those mixed together. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I don't think you can go past those two. I think those two, but I think 
Smith and Wesson, you've had your six, should be in. Yeah, that has to be included because, uh, again, that's one of those scenes that if you've seen, you know, anything of Doctor No, pretty much everybody remembers it. If I were going for my personal favorites, I would include uh, Pussfellas Club with the dancing guy and. <laughs> Can we just put that in there anyway? Yeah, like Coral wanting to break women's arms has to be included. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I also really love Bond's escape in this. But I don't think that's something that most people remember. Yeah. But I agree it's that great scene, but maybe not yeah. all of them. Bond's introduction, Honey's introduction, and the killing of Dent. Dent those are the main three. Yeah. Uh, special note to boom, 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 three blind mice in a row, and um, yeah. And special Sean singing, and also, where's the girl I came in with? I don't know. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so we're pretty much done then, huh? Yeah. Final thoughts. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, again, as we said at the beginning, it's very interesting to go through this intending to pick things apart. And again, anybody listening to this shouldn't think that we think these are dumb movies, that we only like them you know, yeah. for their campy value or whatever. I mean, th- this is just what the things that you find when you watch a movie. I mean, this is such a fantastic movie. The story's great. Even the parts that don't make sense, these scenes are iconic. Um, this is the perfect introduction to James Bond, whether it holds up as well as a couple of the movies that follow this. Uh, probably not for me, but I-, I think I said in the last episode, I rank this at least around the middle area of my favorite Bond movies. Yeah, I love it too. I think it would be in my top ten, even after all this time. It's so much fun, and yeah, we make fun of it, but that's what makes it great. Apparently, this is number one for everyone. But yeah, there's just so much in this film. I love it. Well, yeah, with the rankings, of course, we are going to go through these and rank them each time, so we all have to put this at number one, um, <laughs> <laughs> except for the previous versions of Casino Royale. Um but yeah, as I sort of said at the top, I feel it's sort of it's good on a, it gets better on each rewatch, and I'd still probably say it's not not in my top ten, um, and probably still middle-ish for me in terms of overall James Bonds, but um, it's still enjoyable to watch. Uh, again, to use a famous quote, James Bond is like pizza; even when it's bad, it's good. But this wasn't bad, so it was good. All right, That's well, thanks for the quote that even you admitted didn't make any sense. <laughs> Your yes. quote is as relevant as Dr. No's scheme to take over the world. Yes, it is, indeed. So that brings us cool. to the end. We got uh, uh, From Rush With Love up next. Um, whenever people listen to that, or if you listen to this now and you see the other episodes are available, listen to From Russia With Love. Uh, very quickly before we go, uh, quick thing to say about From Rush With Love. You don't have to go into a whole opinion, but anything to say about From Rush With Love, Noah? Um, if you thought this one was good... Everything will be tighter next uh, next week with the film technique, the acting, and the story. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Ben, <laughs> I just want to say that if this was um, modern from Russia with love, it would not uh, sadly um, quote uh, be the same for everybody in Russia. But um, that's a different story. I'm looking forward to it. It's a great film. It's got a great song. Our first real theme song we get to chat about, except for, of course, Mango Tree and Three Blind Mice. But, um, yes, there'll be plenty more to talk about with that next episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, From Russia With Love is right up there among my very favorite Bond movies. I'm more interested to see if we can come up with as many funny things to talk about in a movie that's not only more serious than Dr. No, but probably 
as Noel was saying, I mean, better on uh, every front and really well-made movie. Uh, can we come up with as many funny things to say about a movie that's almost flawless as far as uh, the, the finished product? So it'll be interesting to see. So that's everything. Uh, we're done with Dr. No. And uh, James Bond will be back uh, in For Russia With Love. Uh, Noah Mango Banana Tangerine will be back in For Russia With Love. Uh, thanks for joining everybody at home, Ben, and me. Thank you. And uh, will we return? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> And Dr. Noah, uh, you have a character named man. after you from the first one? Yes, Mango. We'll play out with him. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's hearing Underneath the Mango Tree right now, uh, which uh, goes down in history. Do we want to consider Underneath the Mango Tree or Jump Up, Jump Up Jamaica as or Three Blind Mice as the very first James Bond theme song? A mashup between all three. And all right. Underneath <laughs> the Jump Up, Jump Up, Three Blind Mice. <laughs> Somebody's got to make that for us. If you have any concerns, questions, comments, we said concerns first for a reason. Um, <laughs> send us your comments and uh, continue to listen to us uh, for the upcoming episodes. We have at least 22 more to go. My math's almost off there. So uh, thanks for being here, Ben. Thanks for being here, Noah. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you to Quarrel. Um, don't go breaking anybody's arms. Good night. Underneath the mango tree, me honey and me, we plan marry soon. Your name Quarrel? Maybe. I'm a friend of Commander Strangways. No, ain't that nice. I like people who's friends of people. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, extortion. I'd well, it wouldn't do to make a habit of it. Take off all the clothes. Do the girl first. Now look, man, we give the orders around here. You're coming out! I'll 